Hey, welcome to the 294th episode of the Random Podcast from Heck. My name is Tony, and this is the podcast about random things in the world of entertainment, which includes movies, TV shows, and comic books. Big shout out to Dave McPhail and Andrew Loken. They are big supporters of the show. You can be a supporter by going to patreon.com slash gmanfromheck. Any amount you can commit to will be awesome. If you commit at the Rick Jones tier or higher, you get access to the secret podcast from Heck, which is an additional 30 minutes of podcast entertainment every single week. Sometimes I talk about movies, older movies. Sometimes I do off my mind topics about random things. Um, or usually, often, I talk about comic books. And we're currently talking about X-Men The Hidden Year. So this is a 1999-2000 issues. Or, uh, this is John Byrne, classic X-Men story. The hidden X-Men stories that took place between the regular series and giant size X-Men. And are currently in the Savage Land, which I love the Savage I don't love the Savage Land. But you can hear all about that. But if you can't commit to a monthly commitment, you can also help out by going to coffee.com. Every little bit helps. And you can buy me a virtual cup of coffee or two. That is ko-fi.com slash gman from heck. All right, what are we talking about this week? Movie feature, two movie features this week. The first movie feature is going to be Legion of Superheroes, which is the latest DC, Warner Brothers, Discovery, whatever uh, animated movie. So Legion of Superheroes, Supergirl. I, I'm really digging uh, the animation and, and this like new current continuity. So you can hear about that movie that comes out uh, Tuesday, February seventh. So not going to obviously I'm not going to like do spoilers uh, a little bit. I'm going to talk about like what's going on and, and so forth. Main movie feature is <laughs> Knock at the Cabin, uh, M Night Shyamalan movie, Dave Bautista, uh, Rupert Grint uh, from Servant and uh, Harry Potter. And other people in there, and uh, I, I, I love the M Night Shyamalan movies. Um, that being said, I, it, it's not like an automatic. I absolutely, I, I did, I can't say I hundred percent love this movie. I did really enjoy it, so you'll, you'll hear about that. Then um, you'll get speaking of servant, you get last week's servant. Uh, we're a week behind. Last of Us uh, through the third episode. I'm only going to talk about the first episode of Poker Face, the Rian Johnson uh, new show. Four episodes dropped. Five episodes are out probably now by the time you listen to this. Uh, yeah, five. I think the fifth episode came out last week. Um, I would have loved to do this show. I, so I'm just going to talk about the first one. So just to get a taste of it. That's, that's on Peacock. Um, Star Wars Bad Batch, National Treasure, Edge of History. And, of course, two more episodes of Velma. I, I'm I'm hooked on this this mystery, even though there's so much about the show that kind of makes me cringe a little sometimes or roll my eyes often. But let's talk about the news first. So a uh, lot of DC news. Um, James Gunn and Peter Safran uh, they they had a, a lot to say about this. Uh, Sa- Safran, I think that's that's how you say it, and um, it, it's it's interesting to to see. You know, there's I'm sure a lot of people are are kind of you know what, what's going. On. I mean, just just kind of I'm probably gonna jump all over with with, with this just from from what I remember. Uh, main thing, movies, Superman Legacy. So it's it's supposed to come out July 11th, 2025, and they I guess this is supposed to be like the start of the DCU, and it's not going to be an origin story. It's going to focus on Superman, um, quote-unquote. It focuses on Superman balancing his Kryptonian heritage with his human upbringing. He is the embodiment of truth, justice, and the American way. 
he is kindness in a world that thinks of kindness as old-fashioned, which is obviously perfect, typical of of Superman. And um, I, I, I still think that there should be no killing. I, I'm not going to get into this. Uh, whatever. Uh, so Peter Gunn's going to be directing it, and um, I guess, or Peter Gunn, James Gunn is going to be, be uh, writing it, and Peter Safran kind of jokes. He's like, well, maybe he could be persuaded to direct it as well. And um, James Gunn was sitting like right next to him and didn't, didn't say anything. So that'll be interesting that, you know, let's go ahead and do it. And they even said, you know, we don't, it's not like we, we don't like Henry Cavill or anything like that, but, you know, they want to just start younger and, and over in, you know, 10, 10 years. How many often, how many more movies would Henry Cavill do or be able to do? Whatever. Because, you know, he shouldn't be aging. So, you know, whatever. Anyways, moving on next. The Authority. They want to do an Authority movie, which, which is interesting um, that you're going to go with, with this. So characters from Wildstorm. Um, it's created by Warren Ellis and Brian Hitch. Um, basically, this is a superhero team that they do whatever it takes. You know, uh, yeah. And uh, it isn't a story, just a story about heroes and villains. And not every movie and TV show is going to be about good guys versus bad guys. This is what James Gunn said. There are people that are very questionable, like the authority, who basically believe that you can't fix the world in an easy manner, and they take things into their own hands. So, um, oh, and Peter Safran, I, I think he said something like he compared it to like a few good men, like, you know, Jack Nicholson in there. In there. So uh, that'll be interesting to see about that. And a lot of these, you know, they're, I guess they're working on the screenplay now, but, you know, there's no directors and stuff attached, you know, so they're not making huge announcements. There's obviously no casting. I think they made it clear that they want to do screenplays first, get those like concrete, then go into stuff, whatever. There's also going to be a Brave and a Bold, um, which is going to be a DCU version of Batman. So Robert Pattinson's Batman is still going to happen. That's going to be like an Elseworld. But the Brave and the Bold is supposed to bring us like the Bat family. I don't know how I feel about this because there's going to be a Robin, which you know we haven't had Robin since Batman and Robin movie, a live action one, and it was it 97? But they're going to they're starting with with Damian Wayne. So I, I guess since the Superman movie isn't an origin movie, obviously if, if we have Batman and Damien, then this probably isn't going to be a Batman or, cause again, we don't need, do we really need a Superman origin? No, we, we, everyone knows the origin story. Do we need a Batman origin movie? Absolutely not. So if, if we're getting like this intro to this DCU and we have a Batman that's been around a little bit, kind of like, um, sort of like Zack Snyder's, uh, Batman who is, has been around a little bit, that that's fine. So it is, maybe it's possible that Dick Grayson or Tim Drake, you know, that they do exist or are out there somewhere. We're just not seeing them, you know, in their early days and they can do flashbacks or whatever, if they want to bring them into another movie. So, um, it'll be interesting. And, 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 uh, they, they said that this is gonna be based off of like the Grant Morrison comics, which the Grant Morrison ones were, was Nightwing and Damien, but whatever. And then they also mentioned Tom King, it was kind of like whatever <laughs> exactly um speaking of tom king there's also they're talking about supergirl world of tomorrow this is supposed to be based on tom king's comic from, from that um i didn't love that series i, I so we'll, we'll see and they said well we see the difference between superman who was sent to earth raised by loving parents from time from the time he's an infant versus supergirl who was raised on a rock chip of off of Krypton 
and watch everyone around her die and be killed in terrible ways for the first 14 years of her life. So, um, and I, I guess James Gunn said that the Supergirl is much more hardcore. Um, so, we'll see. We're talking about Swamp Thing movie. Uh, okay. I, I I was really into Swamp Thing for a while, and then I, I kind of just like fell off Swamp Thing. I still haven't seen the the Swamp Thing show because when I was gonna watch it, then they're like, yeah, it, it's canceled, and they're all the problem. So I was like, well, why do I want to invest in it if it's not gonna continue? Um, speaking of television, there's Creature Commandos. It's an animated series for HBO Max. It's gonna feature Frankenstein's monster. A werewolf, a vampire, a gorgon fighting Nazis World War II. Um, okay. Uh, there's going to be a Waller show. So, I mean, that that's cool. Um, there's going to be a Lantern show. And uh, this is going to be different from what we had, what was in, in talks with, with Greg Berlanti. They're talking about this is more like a detective show, like true detectives like that. It's supposed to focus on Hal Jordan and John Stewart, which is great because, uh, but see, that's, that's the thing. I mean, I, I love Hal Jordan and I, I have deep respect for John Stewart, but I can't say he's my favorite. I have nothing against him, but you know, I've always been about Hal Jordan because he was my first Green Lantern. And then, you know, I really like Kyle Rayner, um, Guy Gardner, Guy Gardner's okay, but we'll see. Uh, Paradise Lost. We'll see how I feel about this, if I can get into this. this I feel like the news is going to be so long this week. Um, Paradise Lost is supposed to be like a Games of Thrones style movie, and it's supposed to be uh, set on Themyscira, the Amazon, the Amazon island, before Diana was born. So this is like Wonder Woman prequel. Um, it could be cool and everything, but it's just me and the old timey stuff. I don't know. And then there's going to be Booster Gold, which is going to be interesting. Uh, Booster Gold show. Uh, okay. I, I, I'm sold with that. Yeah, I, that sounds good to me. But they also mentioned, um, I guess they're, they're trying to, I think, I don't, I can't, actually, I don't remember if it was Ben Affleck that was interested or if they're, inter- or they're trying to get Ben Affleck to direct a DC movie, not be Batman, obviously not, you know, necessarily star one, but you know, Ben Affleck is, is a really good director. So, you know, that, that could be cool. Um, other things, uh, speaking of TV, Superman, Lois, they're, you know, they're, they're saying everyone likes a show. So they're, they're probably looking at maybe like one to two more seasons of it. So it's going to be around for, for a little bit. And, uh, as far as the other, characters the other actors that are currently playing some of them it's it doesn't sound like you know it's not like everyone's getting fired or anything like that they're they're kind of going to see how things play out they did kind of make it clear that no actor will play two parts so you know there's a rumors that i don't know how these rumors got started that jason momoa might be playing lobo and then you know aquaman so i guess that's not going to happen they're supposedly really happy with how like Shazam, Flash, Blue Beetle, and then Aquaman are c- coming out, or you know how, how the movies are, so those stars for now are welcome to reprise their roles. But it'll be interesting to see you know how, how they do that. And um, as far as Ezra Mill and everything like that, they've kind of like they're like Let, let's just see what happens. You know he's going through mental health um, treatments and stuff like that. So so it's not like necessarily. They're you know rebooting the the DC you know animated or DC film universe. It doesn't mean that everything is is going to be wiped out. 
So there's still some hope. So that's good. And uh, as as far as uh, what you might call it, uh, Batgirl, they they kind of said that, or I think it was P- Peter Safran. He he defends the uh, the canceling of the movie. He said it was it was the right call for the the benefit of the brand or something like that. He he said that the movie wasn't releasable. I I'm really curious like what that means because the movie wasn't finished. So he could be saying, yeah, this movie wasn't releasable because it wasn't finished. Obviously, it's not going to be releasable. Or was it just really that bad? And and if it was really that bad, how could it be that bad? So I, I don't know. And then you know they're they're still saying, well, maybe you know we could still get Michael Keaton and you know somehow somewhere. I don't know. So we'll see. But it's just too bad that you know we we can't see anything. And I I feel really bad for all the people involved that you know they're they're working hard and and it's just we're never going to see it because it's it's shelved and locked under key or whatever. But I don't know. Other news: um, Seth Rogen speaking. You know, everyone's like criticizing the Marvel movies and all that. Seth Rogen apparently. Um, said that the Marvel movies seem to be geared towards kids. So depending on how you take the quote and if it's out of context or whatever, he wasn't like bashing it like, you know, some people, you know, like the bashed out the Marvel movies. But he says he goes into them and they're not like, you know, for him and everything. But I just think it's weird because he's doing a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle movies, which is obviously geared f- towards kids. So he's making it sound like that they're they're really bad or anything. They're watered down. But at the same time, you know, he, he, he tends to do more potty humor and stuff like that. Yeah, that's not necessary for kids, but it's 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 like a low lower what's the word? I mean it's it's a more like an immature audience in a way. Don't get me wrong, I, I love the potty humor and all that stuff and I, I I crack up in the Seth Rogen movies, but I I feel like you know, you have that argument where the Marvel movies, I don't think they're for kids. They're just not strictly for adults. Yeah, there, there's you're not going to have the the raunchiness or like the the profanity because you don't need that. He did say that you know if it wasn't for Marvel, you know there would be no the boys if it was for Marvel because you know he's involved with with that show and 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 so he's involved with Invincible too, right? So he tends to do more gritty swearing and violence, but I I don't think that that necessarily makes it the best thing. You know, it it it, it has a certain you know there's. There's an audience for that, and for me, I I love that stuff, and I love the Marvel stuff. It doesn't mean it has to be one or the other, but it's just like the argument with Deadpool. I love the Deadpool movies. I don't think you necessarily need profanity, potty jokes, or whatever, to make it better than the other stuff. And that's one of the things which you know I'll talk about with like Knock at the Cabin. There was some there's there's like the the violence was toned out. There could have been like parts where it could have gotten pretty graphic when certain things happened, but it was all off camera. And I don't feel it took away from the movie or it watered it down or anything like that. But anyways, I don't know, but it's just, why does everyone need to to talk about like state their opinion? And, and, and again, it's because dum-dums like me keep talking about it and people, you know, it's, I don't know. Five Nights at Freddy. How about that? Uh, The, so Blumhouse is doing it, you know, the movie and they started production um, okay, we'll, we'll see how it is. I still, um, yeah, I played the game just a tiny bit, and uh, I, I, I still think about Willy's Wonderland, Nicolas Cage. See that movie if you haven't. It, it's similar premise, not not exactly, but uh, I, I that was just it was an amazing movie. 
and uh, I, I think I talked about, it might have been on a secret podcast. I, no, maybe it was a regular podcast. I don't remember now, but I, I really enjoyed that movie. Uh, if you are interested, if you're excited about Ant-Man, you can pre-order Scott Lang's autobiography. And, and yes, Scott Lang, not Paul Rudd's autobiography, Scott Lang's. They're actually releasing his autobiography. Um, I think it's coming out later, like August, September, or something like that. You know, movies coming out this month, but you can <laughs> pre-order that. Um, oh, this is interesting. Hulu has ordered a second season of Hit Monkey, except it's not going to be Marvel's Hit Monkey. It's just going to be Hit Monkey. They're kind of like discreetly taken away to Marvel brand because it's you know Marvel Studios is taking all you know the the animated stuff and the live action stuff. So it's it's going to be produced through 20th Century Studios. But I, I think it's great. I do not, absolutely do not love Hitmonkey as a character. But I did enjoy the series. So that's, I think that says something there that I, I, I got into it, even though I really don't care about the character in the comics. I was just like, whatever. But there was, you know, a kind of a, a cliffhanger. I'm curious because, you know, we had like Lady Bullseye in there. And I think there was a reference to like a Punisher comic. You know, someone was reading a comic. I think it was Punisher. I don't think it was X-Men. Uh, so... I'm, I'm really curious. I wonder if they're going to have to tone down anything. You know, we're probably not going to get any other cameos or mention. Maybe. We'll see. But um, that's good. I'm just really bummed that we didn't get a second season of MODOK. Because that was, it was hilarious. And when I love MODOK, you know that. And there are so many, you know, we had like Wonder Man in there. We had, uh, I can't, there's so many obscure like cameos and, you know, villains. And it was just, it was great. And it was so absurd. I'm sure Part of the reason is because it wasn't Marvel Studios and then because we're supposed to have MODOK and Ant-Man and Quantumania. But uh, I wish we could get more because that was just really fun. Um, oh, going back to HBO and DC and everything, HBO Max is canceling Pennyworth after the third season. So I was always interested. You know, The first two seasons were on Epics. But I, I don't even know how you get epics if it's a paid subscription thing. And I was like, I'm paying for so much, so many streaming channels. It's like, I'm not going to pay for something else. And then they moved it to HBO Max. I'm like, oh, great. Maybe you know, I can watch, you know, catch up on the first two seasons. But I don't know when I'm going to do that because there's so much other stuff to watch. And then it's, it's over. So that's that's too bad, but at least uh, hopefully you know that the third seat moving to HBO Max that gave it a bigger audience, but maybe it just wasn't enough, or or maybe I don't know because of the merger and stuff like that. I'm sure that has something to do with it. Um, Sixty five, the Adam Driver movie. I like I said I don't know, or like I've been saying I don't know if I'm going to be able to cover it because when it was. It's supposed to come out. It was supposed to come out at the same time as Shazam. So obviously, I have to choose Shazam over sixty-five. Uh, I'm I'm more interested in Shazam. Sixty-five looks good and everything, but I'm going with Shazam. They decided to change that, so it's not competing with Shazam. They moved it up a week. So does that mean I'm going to be able to cover it? Probably not, because now it's going since it's opening on March tenth. It's opening the same day as Scream 6. It's like, come on, Scream 6 or 65? Of course, I'm going with Scream. And now, you know, with Jenna Ortega being in Scream, she's like hot commodity because of Wednesday was, was so amazing. She was so great in that. So I, I don't know. I, I, I really want to see it. I think it's it's going to probably eventually end up on, like on a secret podcast episode where I'll talk about it after the fact. So that that's that's unfortunate. 
Um, but that's that's how it goes. Um, there's a trailer for Picard for the, the final season. It's the third season, right? I think we're in the third season. I, I enjoyed a show. You know, I'm not a diehard Star Trek fan at all. Uh, I did enjoy the next generation. I didn't watch it religiously. And I, I think I've mentioned several times that my brother was really into it. And that's why I watched it. It was more because of him. Uh, and I, I, I liked the, the first, you know, couple seasons uh, of Picard and, you know, seeing, and I, I did watch most of Voyager. I watched a lot of Voyager, not all of it. And, you know, I, I, you know, of course I like seven of nine. So it, it's cool seeing seven of nine with Picard and, you know, just everything like that. And, you know, we had some new characters and, but this next season, it's, it's like next generation reunion. Yeah. Uh, so it's a, uh, it'll be interesting to see how, how does, what they're going to do with this and being the final season, it's, it's almost like, you know, pull out all the stops or whatever, you know, just, just unleash and do everything that you want to do while you can. Um, they did mention like a week or so ago that, you know, there is potential for like a spinoff, you know, so it doesn't mean that this is absolutely the end, you know, some of the other characters that are appearing throughout this could potentially do their, their own show. So, um, fingers crossed that it's, it's characters that we want to see more of. So we'll have to wait on that. That starts on, I think it's the 16th. So I'll probably, um, be covering that. Um, Paramount, if you're listening, don't drop like a billion episodes the first week. I'm sure you're going to do at least two. Just don't do that. Unless there's like nothing else, everything else ending. Uh, I, I, I can't keep up with everything. And then the last bit of news, not, not really much news, Daisy Ridley, uh, she's talking about Ray, Star Wars. She they, she doesn't know anything. There, she hasn't heard anything. There, there's no talks or anything like that. Uh, I would love to see Ray again. And I know there's a lot of people that are very opinionated, you know, one way or the other. I, I would like to see more of Ray or Finn or Poe, you know, all, all of them. And she said that she, she made it sound, you know, she made it pretty clear that like, like, yeah, she would be open to it. She said that she had a great experience. She worked with, you know, amazing people. And if she could do that at, at least one more time, why not? You know, but she said that I, I guess it's been three years. Feels like it's been way longer. And she says, you know, like a lot has happened in that three years. Like almost like she's a different person and everything. But she had a really good time, and I think it would be cool to revisit and see, you know, what's going on, where where are they at, and and so forth. But no, no word on anything. Uh, it's it's interesting how Star Wars has pulled back on the movies and, you know, focusing more on TVs, and that's fine because you know I think they're doing a great job. You know, not everyone may agree with that, but. You know they are working on some movie stuff, kind of. I think I think they're just being more more cautious about it. You know, and it's just I don't know why people have such. They're just so ridiculous when it comes to the movies, and that's I'm sure that's that's why we're not getting movies because everyone's just being so jerky about it. But with that, that is going to be the news for the week. With comic books at Image, we had Almighty number one. So it was a number one. I like to read the number ones. I'd like to you know see how these series are. Series. I don't know what I just said. Uh, this is by Edward LaRoche. Uh, look, uh, he wrote and drew it. The warning writer, artist, Edward LaRoche, returns to comics with a five-issue epic Mad Max Fury Road style Action combines with the mutated horror of Annihilation in this original sci-fi fantasy epic for mature readers. The year is 2098 
in a third world America ravaged by economics collapse. Anarcho warfare, anarcho warfare, and a mysterious environmental disaster contained behind a massive wall. A girl has been abducted, and a killer has been hired to find her and bring her home. So uh, it's a double size for you. It's kind of cool when you're witnessing. Here's this is a new world, new character, and you know the sky's the limit. Basically, you know they they they're not tied down by anything. You're like, oh, I'm going to write a new new character in a Marvel universe. You know, there's so many rules and regulations that you have to be careful. And you know, so it, it's uh, it's interesting to see and just how the like the vehicles they 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 use or weapons and stuff like that. So I, I'm curious how this is going to go. Um, it, it, it's it's a good start. You know, I, I wouldn't say it's like, oh, this is like my favorite comic of the year so far. But I am intrigued with with where what is being set up. So I I, I think that that's cool. That that's that's good. Then there is a Blood Tree number one. So this um, I I have I I haven't really decided how I feel about this. So this is by Peter Tomasi, which you know I I think he's a he's a great writer. Um, and I think it's it's gr- amazing. It's great. It's cool that he's doing an image book. Uh, I mean, you know, I've just read so many of his his DC, you know, Batman, Batman and Robin stuff. So this is two obsessed NYPD detectives hunt for a vicious butcher called the Angel Killer. Sociopaths who preys on innocent family members of known murder. This was not in the first issue. Who uh, preys on it? innocent family members of known murderers in order to purify the rest of society. That's interesting because basically the first, how it starts off, there's like this, like, I don't know if it was like a parade or something like going on. And, you know, there's this cop walking down the street and then, then all of a sudden, you know, and he's got a family and stuff like that. So, you know, he's, he's a family man doing his job. And, and then all of a sudden he like pushes this like politician out of way and this like angel lands on the ground. And, you know, the angel's dead. So it's just like, okay, they, you know, cordon off the area. They have to investigate and all this. I was just like, are we, because it's a new, you know, first issue and everything, it's like, is this so, and they were so nonchalant about it. So I'm like, is this a world where angels can actually fall from the sky and no one bats an eye? Or is this like some winged creature? They exist, but no, you find out like someone like, actually did surgery and and stuff and uh but th- there's been like more than one murder and you know they're trying to figure out like what's going on and um yeah so that that thing about the family members that unless i totally missed it that wasn't really mentioned uh in in the the first issue then um we had what else do we have there was a radiant black I, I'm I'm still enjoying this. It, it's interesting with Radiant Black how you know it it kind of goes back and forth between you know our, our two characters, uh, Nathan and Marshall, and you know they're they're basically sharing the power. But what is making things a little more interesting is can they control it or not? It's it's you know at at some points it seems like they can like kind of pass it back and forth at will. But there's a one point where. They're like one, you know, I forgot who one was like with the power carrying the other and then they lose the power. It just like shuts off. And then, you know, they were able to obviously get it back in time. And then, um, you know, there, there's also the, the bigger picture with, with the the alien robot attacks. You know, what, what does that mean and what, what's what's going on? So um, there's some interesting things there. Then there's a Rogue Sun issue 10. I, you know, I, I like the first story arc and everything like that. 
but what I what I'm realizing is it's it's hard to get to fully invest myself in this because the main character, you know, so this kid, his dad was this hero, but his dad abandoned him when he was a kid, abandoned him and his mom. His dad dies. Uh, then he finds out that his dad had this other family. They lived in this like big, rich manor and, and whatever mansion. And so he's he's like like a punk kid, and he has like a big chip on his shoulder. But now he's got this power. He's but he's kind of a jerk. It's what makes it interesting? And I hate that I, I keep saying interesting so much. I, I'm fully aware of it. Maybe you're not. I hope you're not. But what makes it interesting is that it's not your typical hero. So it's not like, like oh, goody, goody, Peter Parker trying to do the right thing. You know, Yeah, he's going to try to do the right thing. But he's also kind of a jerk with the way just he behaves, like with this, this one kid who's supposedly his friend. And so it, it is something a little different rather than the, the same old thing. But, you know, we're, we're introduced to this, this other being from like another ghost and uh i don't know how i feel about about that aspect of it and then there's the stuff with like his his uh stepsister uh you know what what exactly uh does you know does she have planned and it, you can't really trust her but uh i don't know we'll, we'll see then at boom see i didn't read anything at boom studios this week at IDW, I almost said image. There was a comic that I was going to read, but I just realize I'm realizing now I didn't get to it. Um, Breath of Shadows. So this is by Rich Doek um, and Alex Cormack. In the mid 1960s, and oh, it's the mid 1960s, and Jimmy Meadows should be on the top of the world. His band's most recent album just went gold, and they're riding a wave to international fame. But Jimmy is driven by only one thing where to get his next fix. With his band at the end of the ropes and his life falling apart, Jimmy thinks he may be finished until a friend tells him about a controversial method deep in the jungles of South America that can help him kick his addiction for good. But is clean living actual in Jimmy's future, or will he instead unleash horrors beyond beyond his wildest nightmares? Uh, I don't know. We'll, we'll, we'll see. I mean, that, that, that kind of sounds interesting to me, so we'll, we'll see. Um, at Archie Comics, I haven't talked about Archie Comics in a while. Um, I did read Archie's Valentine Spectacular. Uh, the reason I did is this issue, you might want to track it down. Uh, I, I don't know if you're a spec speculator or whatever. New character was introduced, Cassie Cloud. And um, it, it's interesting. You know, they, they've introduced a, you know, new characters every once in a while. And, and, you know, maybe some might stick more than others. But it's it's kind of cool that we we got this new character and um, you know it's it's a white girl so it's not like they're saying oh we got to do a different ethnicity and all that because you know they are diversifying which is is, is super important I, I feel but we have this she's she's white she's blonde and what what's interesting is she seems like she could be like fun and popular and by fun like you know good spirited she's like really nice and and she gets along with everyone. So it'll be interesting to see if they actually do more with her. You know, will we see her or is it just because um, I forget. I mean, th there was wasn't it like Veronica's cousin? I forget the character's name who was in a wheelchair. I don't even I don't read Archie comics religiously. So I, I don't know if she's still popping up you know, here and there. 
And I feel like there was someone else that was introduced recently. Um, what I wanted to read, and I just, I didn't get to it. This is from like two weeks ago now, the, the week before. There was Archie versus the world. I'm really curious about that. So I have the issue. Uh, I don't know if maybe I'll, I'll try to talk about it next week, even though I'll be like, what, two weeks behind uh, by then. Um, it's, it's, it kind of seems like it's, it's kind of like Mad Max with, with Archie. So I, I'm, I'll, I'll check that out. And then uh, I'm also kind of curious about the Archies in India, just to, you know, see what, what that's about. But, cause you know, there's a TV show. I don't know if it's just them in India, if it's like, you know, whatever, but we'll see. I, I, I do like the Archie comics, you know, I, I, and part of it, you know, my daughter got really into them. So I do read them from time to time, but I just, I don't talk about them, I guess, uh, for not, not that there's any particular reason, but maybe because I'm reading like older ones, I'm not keeping up with the like current stuff, but we have that at DC. It wasn't a lot this week. It was really weird. I guess because it's it's the fifth week or something like that. But Marvel had a lot because maybe Marvel is just like oversaturating the market. I don't know. But we had Lazarus Planet Legends Reborn, and um, this was just I, this is how many pages? Like like forty over forty pages. Nothing like over overly blew me away. You know, there's a story with Raven going after some of the demon. You know, with the, all the Lazarus reigns. You know, people are getting powers and stuff like that. There was a, a story with the question, which w- was was fine. Uh, you know, I, I like Renee Montoya, but it didn't because we also have that uh, GCPD to Wall or whatever series. So it just I don't know. It felt not uh, totally on the same page, but kind of pretty close and then there's a a firestorm story which is kind of dark uh you just the you know how um what's his name has to merge with like martin stein there's some like ill effects like it's like not going well he ends up merging with someone else but then that's it doesn't go too well and then um I think this is the, it was this issue. Let me just double check. Yeah. So we, we get this new character, this new guy comes to Gotham, new kid, and he has like some sort of powers where he can kind of like find things or something like that. And I don't know if they're calling him city boy. Cause at the end of, of the story, uh, it's, it's story with mainly Nightwing. Uh, Batman has some appearances in there, but it says city boys adventures will continue this year. <laughs> Stay tuned so i don't know about that name um and i i didn't love the the character's attitude or whatever but it's a little different so that's fine there is uh the flash one minute war special this uh, really goes into the the alien race behind all the like the time stuff and like what their story is and how they're basically going to different planets and just stripping them of their resources and really scumbaggy you know people and everything so i don't know um there was a dc power a celebration i didn't get to this this is like one of those 100 page issues or so that to me usually it's it's like a, it's a turnoff when you're like talking 100 stories i i can't i can't do it because there's just too much but um yeah, so you can check that out. Um, there's DC Harley Quinn romances. I didn't read that. And then Batman Legends of Gotham. Um, this was okay. It, there was a story with 
Jason Todd, and then he's kind of like working. You know, he he breaks into the Batcave because he's looking for something, and then you know Batman's not there because he's uh, busy with the Lazarus stuff and you know dealing with that. But uh, Black Lightning and Katana show up, and then they try to infiltrate because uh, uh, a bunch of data was was taken from Leviathan, and it basically has like all the the weaknesses of heroes and villains, and so. Jason's like, I'm trying to get it. Let's work together. And they don't trust him, but you have, have all that. It, that was it. Um, interesting that it was just like so few. But the books that came out were like oversized issues, you know, whether they're 40 pages or 100 pages. At Marvel, <laughs> there was Avengers 65. Oh my gosh, this is a uh, Secrets of Avengers Prime. And. Um, <laughs> Now I'm looking to solicit. He is the most important Avenger in the multiverse. And, and I don't know if, if it's a spoiler who he is or not, but I'm just, I, I still don't care. Uh, and I, I, yeah, I just, I'm, I'm so ready for this, this arc to be over. It, I don't know why. And, oh no, I do know why. It's because it, there's so much of, it's just make up all these different multiverse versions of the characters. And I just don't care. I don't need, you know, 18 different versions of Ghost Rider or, or Iron Man or whatever and Captain America. And so I don't know. Then there's a uh, bloodline daughter of blade. Uh, the, the big curious, interesting thing. So we have this new character, Brielle Brooks. This is different a few years. I think it was 2000. I'm thinking 2016. Um, I think it was when I went, the last time I went to New York Comic Con, which might have been in 2016. There was plans for Blade's daughter, and I think Tim Seeley was supposed to be writing the story. And then it just never happened. And I don't know why. I don't know if they ever said why they put a halt to it or shelved it. If, you know, script didn't get finished or art didn't get finished or they just decided there was no market or, or maybe I don't think it was COVID, but something happened and it just is just gone. So here we have a different character. This is not, I'm pretty sure this is totally different. You know, there, there's uh Danny lore is, is writing it here. And I, I can't say that I loved it from this first issue the main thing is one, I'm not a huge Blade fan. I feel like Blade has such like an attitude and and maybe he's a badass and he's entitled to have an attitude, but I just it it to me it's not appealing. That like, oh you're this badass. It's like, dude, you you kill vampires, you're a half vampire or whatever you are. But are you like the strongest person in you to be like an event I don't know. So you know we 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 have to get introduced to this new character and that's all fine but maybe just when I was reading it I was like I don't I'm not too in the mood to read about a new character so she, you know she's 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 a good kid no matter what the teachers say you know it's not her fault that she's developing vampiric superpowers and the undead want to brawl so I don't know I I'm I'll try to check out the next issue but I'm I'm not like edge of my seat waiting for it then there's captain america sentinel liberty issue nine uh i i was kind of getting into this story arc but i i don't know how i feel now you know this whole thing with like aim taking over and i love modok but i don't like modok here and it's modok with a c because it's uh for it's control instead of killing and 
Steve and some of the others, they were, were like kind of brainwashed. They lost, I don't know if it's five days. AIM has taken over like Manhattan. There's like a force bubble, force shield thing over it. Uh, I don't know. And, um, you know, Bucky Barnes supposedly betrayed Steve Rogers and he's joined a secret organization. But, you know, he, obviously he has this other plan and he's trying to tear them down from the inside. But I don't think Steve fully knows that. Then uh, this was not my week for, for comics. Dark Web Finale. <laughs> I just I do not like Green Eggs and Ham or Chasm and Ham <laughs> or Ben Riley is you know, I was the first to always say Ben Riley didn't die. There's no way, it didn't make sense. You know, he was a true clone. He again I, I maybe I I should just have I done a, a secret podcast about Ren Riley? Maybe I should just do it. Maybe it's time to just talk about it, just to get this off my chest. King, and he's not even going by Chasm now. It's King Chasm. <laughs> okay, I'm going to save this because oh, I don't know. Maybe I don't know. I, I'm not. I can't guarantee it's going to happen because secret podcast. I'm doing. Maybe we'll take a pause. I don't know. We'll, we'll see. Um. So, anyways. Um, it's it's kind of the conclusion, and uh, I don't even know what's going to happen. Could Ben be redeemed? I don't know. But with all the psychics, with with Madeline kind of seeing the light, and with Jean Grey, couldn't they kind of fix Ben Riley? Kind of help him out? But he's he's still got it like a huge chip on his shoulder, and it's just oh, I don't know. Then we had Legion of X, which I don't read. Uh, Miles Morales. Spider-Man issue three. We got this um, <laughs> new villain called Rabble, and we see her story. She basically what what it comes down to, and whether this is I don't know if this is spoilers or not, but she her mom died, so she's she I think she's Arab. She's living with her dad, you know, dad running this little shop. She's really good with with like uh, tech. And and I don't know if she has like a mutant ability because it almost seemed like she could like repair things just by touching it or doing something. I don't know, but maybe she's just like really good at it. And um, so she's super duper smart, really good and everything like that. But, you know, they don't have the means to send her to like where she deserves to go. So with, with the school that Miles goes to, you know, there was a lottery to, you know, who can get in. And I think Miles was like number 42 and she was 41 or something like that. So Miles won the lottery and she didn't. So that means she's got a grudge against Miles because Miles doesn't deserve it. She deserves it. And it seems so petty, but I don't know. And, you know, there is a question. Is Miles taking his, his studies seriously? Because he's not 100% committed. He's, he's busy. He's being, you know, a superhero. But I don't know. And I... I I could be wrong, but I feel like she knows that Miles is Spider-Man. I don't know if, if that's the case, but, but it's like how and why? I don't know. Um, Moon Knight issue 20. Here, there's... Um, so a while back, I almost like forgot about this. Moon Knight had this shadow cabinet. You know, he, these people that, that kind of worked in their associates and did different, you know, different backgrounds in different places they're starting to get picked off. You know, he hasn't worked with them for years. Um, I think it was Mark Spector, Moon Knight, whatever, where he like died at the end. And he kind of like said that after that, he hasn't really, 
he didn't try to get back in touch with them because it was probably better for them. So he hasn't dealt with them, worked with them, had any contact with them for years, but now someone's like starting to kill them. So, you know, obviously he's like, it's because of me and he's like trying to save them. So it's um, kind of interesting. I really like the fact that they're bringing them back because like I said, I almost forgot about that chapter in, in Moonlight Night's Life. So, um, so it, it, it's interesting to see like where, and then who is behind it, why, that that's something else that that's I think makes it cool. There's a, uh, <laughs> I just, I'm looking to solicit, just in time for Black History Month, a second story in which the Crescent Crusader crosses paths with the sheriff of a vampire nation, Blade. So we get this other Moon Knight. I, I don't know when it, the time takes place because Blade's outfit is like almost like 60s or 70s or you know it's it's very brightly covered colored and just different he's fighting against this uh female moon knight and then it turns out she happens to be black because black history month and um i don't remember if we've seen her before i know there's been another moon knight i don't think it's that that moon knight because she was like in that was in with kang she was in ancient like egypt time so i don't know but uh, the, the the cool thing about it, which makes it important, is because then it, it cuts to the, the present day, and Moon Knight talks to Blade about his uh, his his associate that's a vampire. I, I'm totally blanking her name right now, so I don't know. Then um, there's Star Wars Sana Staros, and what I didn't realize, I didn't realize that Sana and Afra were an item because Sana is the one who came up and said that she was married to Han Solo and Princess Leia is like what and Han Solo's like I'm not married so I didn't realize it was, it was the same character because I, I don't read Dr. Afra uh, part of it because I got behind and, and um, I, I was enjoying it in the beginning but then I, I don't know what happened why I, I missed a couple issues and then I just like stopped reading because I wasn't really sure where it was going like what what she was about and where she fit and uh so i don't know i mean i would love to say that oh someday i'll go back and catch up and everything like that i should because you know I, I was interested but i don't know but anyways as far as this issue she heads back home you know she's kind of hesitant and then uh like her oh now i don't remember was it her cousin i think her cousin was there and then she gets involved there's like stuff going on that you know, she didn't pick the best time to go back home or whether it was at her home or aunties or grandma somewhere. This stuff hits the fan. It's just, it gets kind of crazy. Then there is Venom issue 16. <laughs> I tried, you know, just skimming. Th- I, I read, actually read more of this issue than I have read past issues. Part because I'm just trying to figure out what the heck is going on. You know, with Eddie Brock, read Venom, um, you know, Madeline Pryor brought him, took his memories away, and then I don't know if he's going by Bedlam, and then we have Dylan who is like Venom, but then I think they took a piece of Bedlam, and then Dylan gave it to Normie Osborne, so now he's like a red car- Carnage Venom or something. <laughs> And then Ms. Marvel's like trying trying to deal with all of this and and Dylan's like, I'm gonna kill my dad. No, I'm not gonna kill him. It's like, wait, what are you doing? What's I don't even know what's going on in this series. And, oh man. Then there's X Force. 
uh, issue 37, the peacock tattoo. So at last, learn the truth about the man behind the mask who's been plaguing X-Force since 2019's issue number one. I don't really care about this character. Um, it was kind of interesting. You know, origin is there's there's some some interesting elements to it, but I just I don't know something about X Force series that's just not jiving for me. And I think because there's I, I feel like there's too many X Men books, and if there was less, maybe just less comics. I because to me this is my my silly reason why i can't get into certain things because i feel like there's just so much to read then it starts to feel like a chore and if it's not like totally like winning me over right away i'm not going to give it a chance i'm trying to do what's right for me and i i because i can't overload myself week after week because i'm I'm overloading i'm starting myself thin as it is boohoo to poor tony but also I don't want to read something and just say, oh, this is garbage. I didn't like this. Because, again, it's my opinion, and it, it's not necessarily garbage. So other people may love it, but I'm just not loving it. But we'll see. I, I'm just still waiting to see, like, what, what the heck's going to happen between Wolverine and Beast because uh, there's some crazy stuff happening there. But there's also crazy stuff happening because this is just – we're still at the beginning of this episode. There's still a lot more to talk about. That is going to be comics for the week. Okay, with Servant, Season 4, Episode 3, Seance. Is it only Episode 3? <laughs> it feels like it's it's been been more than that. This was a this was an interesting episode. You know, there there's a there's a lot of tension going on. And if if this is indeed the final season, I'm not really sure where, where it's going. So, you know, we, we have all this stuff going on. You know, Leanne is very protective of the family, very protective of where she's at, and it, it's it's interesting that you know she's rooted herself here, and Dorothy clearly doesn't want her there. But you know when she left before Jericho was gone, because you know Jericho, it seems like her existence is tied to her being there. I'm still not really sure what the explanation is. You know, did she bring him back to life, or is he? I, I don't know. So because of that, obviously Sean and Julian want her there, but Dorothy is just being so wicked because she is just in complete denial the fact that Jericho, her her son, died because she accidentally left him in the car. She was just so exhausted from whatever. And, you know, it was, it was a hot August day. She leaves him in the car in the city, and he basically gets, gets fried. And, and then she just kind of lost it from there. So with the last season, she she fell fell back spinal injury so she's stuck to the bed and she just does not want to be there she or she doesn't want leanne to be there but she has no choice and everything so she hired these two ladies to be like live-in nurses and leanne's you know first instinct is these people are from the cult and you know they're they're up to something they're going to try to attack from within so that's where it started. So it, this episode begins. The two women have like this little rhyming skit prepared, and they're they're talking to Sean, Leanne, and Julian. Uh, I don't know if they're in the office on the sofa. They're they're just like sitting there, and um, so their names are Bo- Bobby and Bev or Beverly. Sean actually kind of like applauds the thing. I don't know if he's just being polite. Leanne's just sitting there like with her arms crossed. You know, she's in bad mood, and Sean uh, 
then he takes them. So it turns out this this kind of bothered me a little bit. It turns out that they have this other little apartment in in their brownstone thing. And Sean said it was actually meant for tenants so to bring in extra cash, but they never got around to to fixing it up. It was renovated in the, the 50s, he thinks, uh, by the owners before Dorothy's parents. But that also explains how the heck they can afford this place because it, it's obviously mommy and daddy you know, bought, bought the place or whatever and then left it to her or something like that. So they, they go down to this place. It's, it's kind of, there's a off street entrance. It's, so it's, it's down a level. It's kind of not in the basement, like where we, they, where Sean has his wine and where there's always like cracks in the, in the floor and everything like that. So it is um, outdated. And, uh, you know, Sean mentions there's an intercom so they can buzz Dorothy. And he says that uh, Leanne was going to move down there at first, which I don't remember any mention of that at all. But they decided to move her upstairs. So, you know, she probably she can be closer to Jericho and all that. So it has like a living room. There's a kitchenette and everything like that. Then he tells them that Dorothy wanted her to stop by her room upstairs when they were finished. And they, they're like, we'll be up there in a minute. So Sean leaves and Leanne just kind of stands there like staring at them and they, they just stand like staring back. It's, it's a little awkward. And then, then she leaves. So then later she's in bed and Julian's like in bed with her. So, you know, obviously they're, they're together for whatever reason like that, but I didn't know he was staying there, but you know, he is always there. So maybe I guess that makes sense. Julian asks Leanne how he's like, how are the shining twins? And she says that they're settling into their apartment. She's like, it'll be fine. She's like, Dorothy has no idea what she's done. So she's sure that they're from the cult. He doesn't think that they're sophisticated enough to do like a Trojan horse on, on her. And he says that he checked the references like she asked and they seem legit. He says that, you know, he tells Leanne that she should give them a chance. And she says that maybe he should look harder that, you know, she says there'll be something off, like a fake name, missing time, you know, timeline, an obituary, like something, uh, you know, they, they think that she's stupid, that she doesn't know when attack is coming. And she's like, haven't they heard what I do to people that threaten me? And that's the thing. I don't know if, if even Sean and, and Julian know about the, the pigeon attack in the streets, like all those people. So Bobby and Bev are fixing Dorothy's blankets. And she says that she hired them to get her out of bed as quickly as humanly possible. The doctors have said that she may never walk again, but she doesn't believe that. And so she won't. And at this point, I'm just like, I roll. It's like, okay, the doctor's like, you're probably never gonna walk again. And she's like, oh, she like refused, which is, you know, it's, it's great to have, you know, positive attitude or whatever. You know, she's not gonna let this get her down, but you know, she, whatever. <laughs> so I, and at first I, I kind of lose track. Like I forget who, which lady is which, but it doesn't really matter. I don't, I don't think anyone really cares. So one says that they'll, that she'll have to forgive them if, if they seem so surprised because they rarely see patients with this much enthusiasm. The other lady says that, you know, part of their job is to help her understand what healing will look like. So, you know, sometimes the body just needs time. And Dorothy's like, not mine. She's like, I'll try anything, anything. It's like, okay, really? out on the streets there's still like discarded mattresses from from all the bed bugs on the sidewalk and you see like a crow like sits on one and like caws so not really sure what that scene was i'm sure it's symbolic for something or whatever but then with, with the crow leanne like sits up and gasps she goes downstairs and she sees like a lit candle and looking at the candles like hand poured cleansing and it's, it's supposed to be like a blend for a happier home so these ladies 
putting these like scented candles. There's they're like giving people books and stuff, and they're supposed to have like all this advice. So it seems like I don't, they're not necessarily new agey or anything like that. But we, we're getting a, a lot of this these these books and, and stuff. Julian's in the office trying to dig further into them. And at this, you know, he's on the laptop. They knock on the door and come in. So he like closes the laptop. Then they they give him a book, and it says like this Japanese lady is a master of organization. The other one says that this thing will change his life, and and they're like sitting next to him now. And you know, he's he's feeling a little awkward. So he's like, that's very thankful. And then he's like, is there anything else? So then that the second one's like. She says that she knows it's hard to see his sister going through this and they, they can feel the tense energy all over the house. They're like, but you don't need to worry about, you don't need to worry anymore, honey pie. <laughs> the other one says like, things are finally changing. So it's like, okay, what does that mean? And, and again, at this point, are they with the cult or not? Leanne checks on Jericho. She sees a stuffed like plain bunny with this tag that says, Auntie Bobby Hart, Auntie Bev. So she just takes it and she throws it in the trash. Then the ladies are, are moving Dorothy's legs, you know, just like bending the knees and everything, you know, so the muscle doesn't atrophy and whatever. She's like out of breath and she's like, this is hopeless. She's like, I've done these exercises. I've been doing them for weeks in rehab. She's like, and I, I'm still exactly where I was four months ago. That's because the doctor said that there's nothing that can be done. They need to think outside the box here. And one says, well, you know, the spine is connected to everything. So it's possible something cognitive or, or psych, psych, cyclical I think that's what she said. Um, maybe what's getting in her way. And Dorothy whispers, are you saying that I don't want it enough? They're like, no, not at all. Dorothy says that she's like, my son cries down the hall and I can't go to him. She's like, I have no idea if he's scared or hungry or in pain. And all I can do is listen to him cry. She makes it sound like, like a, he's just like, no one is tending to him. That he just cries and cries and cries. No, if he starts crying, Leanne's right there. Or if Sean's home, he's there. You know, someone is just ridiculous. And she was such a horrible mother because why else would she need Leanne, a nanny, to take care of a doll so she can go off to work or whatever? And plus the fact that she killed her kid. So then she's like, he's left to wonder, why isn't mommy coming? So apparently she can read his, his mind now. Then she says that she wants to try getting on her feet, which is like, are you serious? It's like you can't even move your legs and, and you think you're, you're going to be able to stand. So Sean's in the kitchen and Lee asks, like, like, shouldn't you be working? And he says he got the day off. He's, he's like, uh, I overnight shooting later tonight. So Leanne's like, you know, he's making all this stuff. She's like, what's all this? He's like, oh, it's for Dorothy. And there's also a book on like love languages or something like that from Bev and Bobby. He's like, oh, it's a, it's a subtle insinuation that I don't know how to communicate with my wife. And then she, Leanne's like, that he, you know, he really shouldn't let Bev and Bobby make insinuations about him. And he's like, no, he's like, I just thought that this would be a nice gesture. And she's like, well, it's nice to see you cooking again. You had us worried. Doorbell rings. Leanne goes upstairs while Julian answers. There's like, like a mountain of Amazon packages. He comes in with like a stack in his hand. He asks Sean, he's like, where are the grannies? And Sean's like, upstairs with Dorothy. He's like, could you just put it downstairs? And Julian's like, no. He's like, that place freaks me out. Sean's like, well, I'm busy. He's like, everyone in the house is busy. Could you just please put it downstairs? He's like, fine. Leanne goes to her room with Jericho. Then I don't know if she had a new bed. It, I, I don't. I guess maybe I never paid attention to her bed, but she's like, no. There's a because there's a post-it on her on on her bed that says her bed needed uh, an upgrade. 
And then there's a, a post-it by the closet. It's like color-coded. And then she looks in the drawers and there's like a post-it. It's like tidy room, tidy mind. So like all her like undergarment stuff are like folded and color-coded. And then there's a book, Social Skills for Teens. She just throws the book on the floor. She's like, fudge you. Julian goes downstairs with packages, puts them by the door. Then he kind of debates whether he should try going in or not. Then he's like, fudge it. He goes inside. Then, you know, there's there's like stuff hanging, like some like beads and like dream catchers and, and stuff like hanging. So the, uh, with Bobby, she asks Dorothy if she's sure about this, you know, because they wouldn't normally advise. And Dorothy's like, I'm ready. And Bev's like, OK, take your time. It's not a race. Bobby like holds her up. Bev gets the crutches ready. And you couldn't really tell. It's like, is she actually standing or is she maybe she's just leaning on, on the crutches? Are they helping her? Cuts back to Julian. He, he's he's looking in the, the bathroom medicine cabinet. He's trying, just trying to find out anything about these these two. You know, are they from the cult or not? Dorothy, she's like, I knew I could do it, but I'm not sure how much she's standing on her own, or if it's the crutches, or if they're helping or not. So she's, you know, they they want to get her seated, but because you know they're like, okay, yeah, that's probably enough. You know, you don't want to overdo it. But she wants to take a step, and they're like, you may not be ready, but she doesn't listen. She's like, on three, one, two, three flat on her face. She's on the floor. Julian at in the apartment, he checks out the bedroom and there's like two twin beds. His foot like thuds on something underneath the, the bed. There's a wooden box there. So it's like, uh oh, wooden boxes. That's something that like the cult people have, right? He pulls it out from under the bed. He opens it and he like looks disgusted and we, we can't see what's in there just yet. Then he pulls something out and he's holding it up and he realizes it's, it's a giant dildo and he drops it in disgust. It, the box is full of like sex toys in there. He, he picks it back up, you know, the, the one that he dropped, he puts it back in, but then it causes something else to turn on there. There's like vibrations and stuff like that. He can't figure out like what turned on and he's like trying to turn it off because he needs to turn everything off, close that box and get out of here before they come down. Sean's in the kitchen. The door slams open. He turns and Julian's just standing in the doorway. Sean's like, what the hell happened? Julian whispers, horrible, horrible things. So one of the ladies one of the grannies, whatever, tells Dorothy not to feel discouraged just because she couldn't do it yet. You know, it's like one day you'll be ready to. Looking at the other ladies, she's like, you should stay in bed for at least a week. Give yourself time to recover from this. Dorothy whispers, there's got to be something else that we could try. Then one of, you know, like one of her alternative methods or something like that. The first one's like, well, we can certainly consider that. The other's like, just don't lose hope. Dorothy tells him, she's like, please go. I just need to be alone for a bit. It's like, okay, I thought she could do anything. Leanne gets Jericho changed. And she's about to put him back in his crib, and she noticed the bunnies in, the, in the, the crib again. So she marches back to the ladies. Is this meant to taunt me? And they're, they're like, what are you talking about? She's like, it's a warning, right? Well, I don't know what you're waiting for. Go ahead. Do what you're going to do. One of them's like, we purchased that doll from the Amish in Lancaster. You know, We thought Jericho might, might like it. Bev, I think Bev is like the shorter of the two ladies. She says that that they didn't mean to upset her. And then Leanne's like, Jericho doesn't need your toys. And stay out of my room. She like storms off. Sean's prepping this like fancy dessert. You see him, he's like doing all this stuff. Dorothy is watching the news and she's reading a, a book. Sean Knox comes in. She just kind of looks at him and he says that he's like, oh, I saw that God awful pudding that Bev and Bobby have been feeding you. So I made you duck and truffle Pithavir, something like that. He's like, it's the only dish that nearly made me drop out of culinary school. He's like, it's still, you know, the most complicated dish that I've, I've made. And she just, she does not care. I mean, she is just, ugh, she's so awful. He's like, 
you know, she wanted to try it. So for four months, you know, he tried and he failed before he even got remotely close. And he said it was the only reason that he's a chef. So she's the only reason that he's anything. And he's like, do you want a bite? And she's like, I'd rather have the pudding. It's like, oh my God. He leaves and then, you know, he just scoops the food in the garbage disposal. It's like, the ladies come up to him. Bobby's like, there's something that we want to discuss with you. We feel like Dorothy's hope is waning quickly. It's like, it hasn't even been a day since she tried standing and fell. So it's like, what the, what the heck, man? She had a setback today, but it's not just that. And then Bev's like, Leanne greatly mistrusts us. She's a very angry girl. And Bobby's like, Julian refuses to open up to us, even though it's clear he is struggling with something. And Bev's like, and the woman that you love so much resents you. And we just can't understand why. It always seems so like incredibly out of line. I, it, it feels like they've only been there a day. Maybe they've been there a couple of days. I don't know if, if you know they've settled in or what. If it, maybe a week tops. But it's like they're making all these accusations. They're like the hired help. And it's one thing to talk about Leanne because she's technically a hired help as well. But Julian's like family and and, and making all these judgment accusations. Sean's like, well, if your intention is to enlighten me to the reality that my family is a mess, you're too late. I already know. And Bobby says that. They think that the only way that they can all help Dorothy heal is by being honest. So let's get it all out on the table. Tell us what we're missing. At first, he says he doesn't know. Then he says that he thinks that this family doesn't cope well. They've had a lot of loss and a lot of it in this house. Dorothy and Julian's mom, for example. And Bev says that they thought that might be the case. Then Bobby wants to suggest something quite radical. So there's a bunch of candles lit in Dorothy's room. Uh, Bobby says that they should all take hands. Leanne walks in. She's like, sorry, I'm late. And Sean's like, oh, I thought you didn't want to be part of this. And she's like, I changed my mind. So Bobby thanks them. She understands that they have some reservations. And you so then they're like, Dorothy, the seance is for you. So they're having a friggin' seance, which is the name of the episode. They should have called it they're having a friggin' seance. So it's like time to set your intentions. And Dorothy's like, out loud, yes, the spirits are already listening. And she's like, okay, I just need some guidance. I, I think I just need a little help. Bobby closes her eyes and starts chanting, home. And Julian whispers, she's like, what happened? <laughs> Bev says that Bobby's becoming the vessel. And he's like, of course. He's like, what else are Tuesday nights for? Leanne like shushes him because she, she probably wants to see like, where is this going to go? Bobby says that there's a tunnel in front of me, glorious white light coming in the other side and a gentle breeze. And, you know, Bev's like, the passageway. So Bobby says, uh, bring forth the first item to the center of the circle. So Julian puts this, like, wooden box on a, the, the table thing. Bobby's like, ah, we have our first visitor. It is a man with dark hair, a gentle energy. And she kind of chuckles. He's waving. Does the letter B mean anything to you? Dorothy's just like, B? She's like, what? And then Bobby's like, or R. I can't quite make it out. He's like, yeah, right. <laughs> and Dorothy's like, Uncle Robert. And, and Bobby's like, Robert? And then she chuckles, yes, he's nodding. And stupid Dorothy's like, oh, that's dad's younger brother. Those were his cigars, I guess, in the box, maybe. <laughs> Next item is a watch. And Bobby's like, there's a woman walking towards us. Strange. She looks a little bit like you, Dorothy. Her hair is red like fire. And Julian scoffs. And Dorothy's like, Mom? It's like, are you serious? Julian's like, you got to be kidding me. <laughs> so I know we don't really like Julian so much, but I mean, he's, he's calling it like it is. And then Bobby's like, she's showing me a memory. And Bev's like, 
they can do that. And, and then, uh, or Bobby's like, were there nights when you would sleep with her? Bad dreams? And Dorothy's like, oh my God, all the time. She was the only one who could comfort me. I'd nearly forgotten all about that. The spirits show us visions for a reason. If I may interpret, I think she may be trying to tell you that it's okay to need support. That little girl is still in there. Julian sighs. He's like, this is so stupid. And then she's like, she's speaking directly to you now, Julian. Oh, is she? Your mother says it's time for you to forgive yourself. People make mistakes. And he just kind of like thinks on that. There is something else. I, I'm not sure how to put it. It's a, a warning. And Dorothy is, she's just like wide-eyed. She's like totally in on the, like buying this. She's showing me this house, but it's different. The paint is peeling. The walls and floors are rotting. I've never seen such a clear vision. She's putting me on the street. I, I can see something through the windows, a dark shadow moving about like a black storm cloud. It, it feels ice cold, evil. It's tethered to this house, attached to this family. I hear something now. There's a baby crying. And Dorothy's like, baby? Our grandmother lost a child once. Could it be hers? Julian says, like, Sean's name. And Sean's like, we need to stop this. But Bobby screams, and she, like, whimpers. She's like, the wailing, it's hurting my ears. And Sean's like, uh, Bobby, we have to stop this now. So I don't know if, if maybe he, if, if they are buying it, could she be talking about Jericho dying and, and wailing? She continues, he's desperate. So it could be. No one is coming to help him. And I think Julian's like, this is fudged up. Why won't they come? Dorothy's like, wait, no, find out what happened. Sean's like, this is over. And Dorothy's like, what was it? Bobby's like, yes, it's time to close the door to the other side. Leanne's like, I still have an item. And then she's like, bring it forward. There's a metal clank. Don't you want to look at it? Do you recognize it? It's what you were looking for in my room, wasn't it? Well, now you find it. It's uh, that, that ceremonial dagger thing. Bobby's like, I, I've never seen this thing before, but I can do my best to read it. And Leanne's like, pick it up. She does. She's like, do you remember how to use it? First, you take out my eyes. Then you slice fr from my shoulder down to my elbow. Bobby like opens her eyes and like looks at Leanne. She's like, wait, what? And Leanne's like, and then you let me bleed out. And then you set me on fire. Isn't that right? So go ahead. What are you waiting for? Dorothy's like, oh my God, this is insanity. Bobby's like, I honestly have no idea what you're talking about. And Leanne's like, a false witness shall be punished and a liar shall be caught. So why don't you tell everybody who you really are? Then Leanne lunges over to, to Bobby, forces her down and like rips the back of her shirt or dress or whatever. And Dorothy tells Sean, she's like, get the lights. But, and then she, they, they, we see Bobby's back. There's nothing under because they, I guess they would whip themselves before we saw that. So then they go to her and Leanne's like, she'll be fine. And Sean's like, Leanne, you cannot rip the clothes off everybody who comes into this house. And Leanne's like, she's not one of them. I just needed to be sure. And stupid Dorothy's like, Leanne, go to your room. And Leanne turns, she's like, what? You've clearly made a mistake. You've embarrassed yourself. Now it's time for you to go. Can you hear me? We don't want you here. Leanne leaves and like slams the door. But it's like, go to your room. It's like, seriously? It's like, what is she like, eight? Julian go goes over um, to her room. He's like, you almost forgot your weapon. She tells him, she's like, just leave me alone. And she's like, why are you looking at me like that? He's like, what were you trying to do? How far would you have gone if, you, if she had scars on her back? And Leanne's like, do you really want to know that? He's like, yeah, I kind of do. And she's like, I would have fudging killed her. Sean tells Dorothy 
that he checked on them. They're fine. Bobby says that this kind of confusion and aggression is pretty common in this situation. Uh, it's usually the children. They feel like Leanne is feeling helpless and, you know, they're not going anywhere. So, you know, good. Then he puts a plate of blueberry pancakes in front of her. He's like, they always used to make you smile. And she's like, well, things are just different now. And she's like, I need you to understand that. He tells her that he has an overnight shoot. So will she be okay? And then she called, you know, so he goes to leave. Um, then she's like, she's like, Sean, she's like, could you actually leave the pancakes? I'm kind of over pudding. So it's like, ha ha. Okay. You're annoying. You got a little hungry there and, and trying to be all stubborn. Like you don't need anything. Leanne's lying in bed and I don't know if she's, she's dreaming or something like that. Then you see like the street is trash. Like it's like all busted up and everything. Cars are wrecked. There's dust in the air. Lights are flickering like at their place. Then you see like inside the window and there's smoke. So this is kind of like the vision that, that Bobby said. And Dorothy opens her eyes. The TV is like on, it's like all static. She reaches for the remote to turn it off and she looks to her side. Leanne is lying next to her by her legs. So what the heck is that about? Leanne obviously had a nightmare. And like Dorothy said, when she had nightmares, she would go to her mom and, and sleep with her and she was the only one that could comfort her. So Leanne is doing the same thing. And is it just because she said so, you know, cause she, she was looking to Dorothy as like a mother figure. I mean, that was the whole thing when they did that interview, when she was a kid that we saw like in the first season or whatever, you know, it was on the video. I, I don't know what's going on, but oh my gosh, this is like just so crazy. So I guess these women aren't with the cult, but I don't know. I, I, I still don't trust them, but I, who knows? So that was serpent. Okay, then with The Last of Us, season one, episode three, long, long time. Um, this, this, was, this was an interesting episode, and uh, it wasn't quite what I expected. And, and I, I liked it, how they, they, they kind of mixed things up. So it starts off, Joel's like putting his bruised knuckle in like a river, just like, you know, cooling it down or whatever, maybe washing it off. Um, he stacks some stones, you know, next to the river. And we, we, we find out they're like 10 miles west of Boston. Ellie's like sitting by a tree and she's like, do you want your jacket back? And he like doesn't answer her. Then he like tosses a sandwich to her from her backpack. She just like keeps talking and says that she's like, I've never been in the woods. And she's like, there's more bugs than I thought. Then she's like, I've been thinking about, and he like cuts her off. He, he's saying that he doesn't want her sorries. And she's like, I wasn't going to say I'm sorry. She's like, I was going to say that I've been thinking about what happened. You know, nobody made you and Tess take me. Nobody made you go along with this plan. It's like you needed a truck battery or whatever. So you made a choice. So don't blame me for something that's not my fault. He like looks at her and he just like kind of does like a single nod. And then she hands him his jacket back and she's like, how much longer? <laughs> and he's, he's like, oh, it's like a five hour hike. She's like, oh, no problem. Later, she asks if he's gone this way a lot. And he's like, not often. And she's like, you know, what are you looking for since, you know, there, there's not any infected because, you know, he keeps looking around. He's like people. She's like, she asks if Bill and Frank are nice. He's like, Frank is. Then later she's like, how, uh, how'd you get that scar on your head? And he like sighs. And she's like, what? Is it something lame? Did you like fall down some stairs or something? He's like, I didn't fall down any stairs. So she's like, okay, so what then? He's like, someone shot me and missed. She's like, see, that's cool. Did you shoot back? He's like, yeah. She's like, did you get him? No, I missed too. He's like, it happens more often than you think. So she's like, did you suck at shooting or just in general? He like kind of looks at her. He's like, in general. 
Then she looks at his gun in the holster. He's like carrying a rifle and she starts to ask. She's like, since it's just the two of us, he's like, no. So she wants her own gun, but he like refuses to give her one. They um, come up to this building. This is like Cumberland Farms. It almost looks like it's like a gas station or something like that. He tells her to hang back while he grabs some stuff that, that he stashed. And she keeps asking questions. And he says that they would hide supplies on a route in case they find themselves short on gear like he is now because, and she cuts him off when she sees, you know, they're, they're inside the building now. She sees his Mortal Kombat like two arcade game. And she's like, have you ever played one? She's like, I had a friend who knew everything about the game. And she asks him if, you know, cause he's still looking around. She's like, did you forget where you stash your stuff? He's like, uh, he's like, I'm zeroing in on it. He's like, it's, it's been a couple years. So then she's like, she's going to look around even though he's, he's like, there's nothing, you know, it's all been picked over, but she, you know, she still wants to look. And then she's, and there's a back room and, and she's like, is there anything bad in there? He's like, just you. And she's like, ah, getting funnier. So she goes in the back room and then sees this like hatch on the floor. Um, she opens it. She shines a light. You know, she drops a rock. rock doesn't seem too too far. She shines her her flashlight. She decides to go down. She looks. She there's a shelf. She finds like a box of tampons. She's like bingo. Then she hears like an infected snarl. So she shines her light in the other side of the just basement storage thing, whatever. And there's like an infected like pinned under some stuff. It can only move like its head. She gets closer. And she's just looking at it. It's just like, you know, she shines a light in its face. Then she pops her knife. She kind of cuts it above its its eye. It doesn't like move or, or anything. You know, it doesn't really do much. And then she jabs it in the head. So it's like, oh my goodness. Joel found his stash. He calls out to Ellie. Then he hears like a metal clank. So he pulls out his gun. He moves towards back. And then she comes out with the tampon. She's like, picked over my ass. So she doesn't say anything about the infected that she killed. That there was one down there. So he then he puts a he starts putting a assault rifle in the storage like thing in the floor, and she's like, "What are you doing?" He's like, "There's not much ammo for it out there, so it's mostly useless." And she's like, "Well, if you're just gonna leave it," he's like, "No." There's more walking. Uh, she gets impressed when she because she's like, "Whoa!" There's like this crash plane on a hillside. She's like, "Have you ever flown one of those?" He's like, "A few times, sure." She's like, "Oh, you're so lucky." He's like, "Well, I wasn't didn't feel lucky at a time. Got shoved in the middle seat between two others and paid twelve dollars for it." sandwich and she's like dude you got to fly up in the sky and he's like well yeah so did they and then he keeps walking and she's like grim later she asks how did everything come crashing down in one day she's like i mean no one was infected with the cordyceps everyone's fine eating restaurants um, you know flying in planes and then all at once she's like how did it even start he's like if you have to get bit to be infected then who bit the first person she's like was it a monkey i bet it was a monkey Joel's like, it wasn't a monkey. He's like, I thought you went to school. And she's like, Fedra school? They don't teach us how to, our poopy government failed to prevent a pandemic. So then Joel's like, no one knows for sure. But best guess, cordyceps mutated. And some of it got into food supply, probably basic ingredient like flour, sugar. It's like there were certain brands of food that were sold everywhere. Bread, cereal, pancake mix. And I wonder if he said pancake mix because... That was from the morning of his birthday. I think his daughter made pancakes. No, she, he made pancakes for her. So then he's like, if you eat enough of it, it'll get you infected. The tainted food all hit the store shelves around the same time. Thursday, people bought it, ate some Thursday night or Friday morning. Day goes on. They start to get sick. Afternoon, evening, they got worse. Then they started biting Friday night, September 26, 2003. And by Monday, everything was gone. And she's just like, thinks about that. She's like makes more sense than monkeys. And she's like, thanks. And he's like, sure. 
Then he stops them. He's like, we'll cut across the woods here. And she's like, isn't the road easier? He's like, yeah, there's just stuff up here that you shouldn't see. And she's like, well, now I have to see that. He says that he doesn't want her to. And she keeps walking. He's like, seriously, Ellie. And she's like, can it hurt me? He's like, no. She's like, you're too honest, man. She just said axe murderer. He's like, uh, whatever it is, it's gone. So they're, they're like walking it. And then she like looks to the side of the road. He's like, about a week after outbreak day, soldiers went through the countryside, evacuated to small towns. He's like, they told you you were going to an uh, QZ and you were if there was room. If there wasn't, and you see there's like a bunch of skeletons in a ditch, lots of bones all over. And she's like, these people weren't sick. He's like, nope, probably not. She's like, why kill them? Why not just leave them be? And he's like, dead people can't be infected. And then you see, there's this close-up of a skeleton with like this flower dress on, like this flower print dress. And then it cuts a flashback to the lady wearing that dress. She's holding this like crying baby wrapped in a blanket. It's September 30th, 2003. People are standing around. There's like trucks parked. There's like soldiers like around there. You know, so these are like army trucks or whatever. They're sprinting like X's on door. They're checking IDs. They're putting people on the trucks. Um, this one building has like cameras mounted and you, you kind of see in the shadows, there's a bearded dude watching the monitors. He hears someone enter and he like grabs a rifle and then you can hear like some soldiers radios like, yeah, we're in the basement. There's no one there. And then, then they sort of go to leave and, and the man watching, he's like, not today, you new world order jackboot fudges. So this is Bill and outside the lady with the babies on the truck uh, in the back of the truck with the others, they drive off. And the man like watches him leave from, from the cameras, from the, the streets. So this lady gets on the truck. She's going to leave and get, get shot. But he stayed behind. As the truck drives off, there's a sign post that says mandatory evacuation. All residents are required to evacuate by 8 p.m. on September 30th. So the man turns on a light and we see like a wall of guns, like all sorts of guns, like pistols and assault rifles, everything like that. There's like all these books on the shelf. There's guns and ammo magazine there, like bullets, sulfuric acid. He goes upstairs. Uh, the door was like hidden under like what appears to be like this big dresser cabinet or something like that. It kind of like, you know, he, when he pushes it, just like flips to the side on this big hinge, I guess. He comes out with like a gas mask on and a rifle. He's like ready to shoot. Uh, he checks his house. His door, when he comes out the front door, his door is like painted, has an X on there. He looks around the neighborhood and everything. It's silent. He takes off his mask and it's Nick Offerman. So Nick Offerman, Parks and Recs, and you probably know who he is. So he, Nick is uh, Bill. He takes his truck out. He, I think he steals like a neighbor's boat. He takes like the seats out, whatever. I think he's, he uses it for like storage or like, like to carry stuff, like a trailer. He breaks into a gas station, fills up like barrels. Um, he has a, actually, no, he put... Uh, the barrels in the back of the bed of his truck and strapped them down. He goes to Home Depot. He breaks in to get more supplies. Then up like the power cuts off. He's like, that was fast. So he's driving, drives through the fence at the power plant. He, he must have switched the grid back on somehow. So I guess he knew how to do this. He gets a box of wine. You know, there's like, I guess, so a winery nearby. He sets up a generator or something in his backyard. There's like all this stuff there. Chops down some trees, chops like firewood. He makes a bunch of booby traps like around the place. There's like rocket launchers or something like that. There's like, he digs holes or like covered up or everything like that. He checks out the garden. There's like vegetables. There's like some livestock, some animals left behind. There's like smokehouse like meat hanging and then he makes this like really nice meal like steak and veggies whatever for dinner with wine he's like mm. then an alarm goes off he checks the monitor 
and he 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 sees someone. The screens are like up in his kitchen now, so I don't know how much time has 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 gone by. So it's an infected. Hits a tripwire, gets blasted in the head. It's like, Psh. so like the gun was just leveled like perfectly. And he's just like never doesn't get old. Then it cuts to four years later. So he's been living here alone for four years. There's like this electric fence at the road that he can open. He has like it was almost like a walkie-talkie like remote. It looks like. So then he's like working in the basement, alarm sounds, he doesn't see anything. So he goes out to check with a rifle. There's a person in the pit calls out. He's like, I'm not infected. And he's like, are you armed? There's a, a long pause and then no. He's like, why did you take that long to answer? So the person there's like, I, I don't know. I, I thought about lying for some reason, but a reason didn't come. So Bill like peers in the hole. There's this dude standing here with his hands up. He's like, I'm just trying to get to Boston. Bill's like, alone? He's like, we started with 10, but yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm alone. From where? Baltimore, QZ, it's gone. He's like, are you hurt? He's like, there's just, just a bruise. So Bill leaves and comes back with a ladder. He keeps a gun pointed at him as he climbs. He tells him to stop at the top. He, holds a, he, has, he has a scanner out, and the guy from in the pit's like, how did you get that? Which is a good question. He like, zaps him in the neck, whatever, with it. It lights up green, so he's not infected. He motions him for him to come out. Bill points the direction. He's like, Boston's that way. And he's like, you can make it by nightfall. And the guy's like, I'm really hungry. Uh, but it's like weird because he doesn't have any supplies or anything. You know, no backpack, nothing. He's, and he's like, I haven't eaten in two days. He's like, it doesn't sound like that long when you say it out loud. And Bill's like, I'm letting you go, so go. The, so then the, the first guy, his, he's like, well, by the way, my name's Frank. And he's like, oh, yeah, here's the thing, Frank. He's like, if I feed you, then every bum you talk to about it is going to show up here looking for a free lunch. And this is not an Arby's. Frank's like, well, Arby's didn't have free lunch. It was a restaurant. And Bill doesn't think that's funny. And Frank says, like, he's like, okay, I won't talk about it to any bums, hobos, or vagabonds. Then he puts his hands down, even though Bill is, is still post, you know, like holding the, the pistol. He's like, you already know I'm bad at lying. So he lets Frank shower in the house. He gives him some clean clothes. Then uh, Frank sits at the dining room table. Bill made him like a fancy meal. He opens his bottle of wine. He takes a bite and he's like, WTF. So he's like in heaven. It's like such a good meal. Then later he's like stuffed. You know, he's like, do you want, do you want more? He's like, no. Uh, and he, so he thanks him. He's like, so I, I guess I'll be going then. But first, and he, he's, he's like, I've been staring. There's this antique pan in the other room. He's like, I've been staring at it all night. So it was Bill's mother. He like looks in a, the seat and like looks for like song books. He, there's like a Linda Ronstadt one song. He starts playing and everything, but he messes up a couple of times. Bill like stops him. And, and Frank's like, well, I'm not a professional. And Bill's like, well, neither am I. Then Frank's like, oh. So then he kind of like insists that he plays. He's like, and then I'll leave. So Bill plays this song, and it's a Linda Ronson song, but it's like a slower version, and he's like singing and everything. Then Frank is kind of speechless. He's like, so who's the girl, the girl you're singing about? He's like, there is no girl. And Frank is like, I know. He sits next to him, and then he moves to kiss Bill, and Bill lets him. Then it's like the kiss gets a little more, like, more passionate, kind of. And Frank has a tear. He's like, what's your name? He's like, Bill. Go take a shower, Bill. So I don't know. I, I guess this this was in in the game. You know, Frank and Bill were a, a couple. And again, it's two dudes. Get over it if you have a problem with that. So Frank is like waiting in bed. Bill comes in like wrapped in a towel. Frank's like, "Have you ever done this before?" She's like, "No." 
He's like, with, with the girl a long time ago, but Frank's like, well, we'll start with some simple things. He's like, and just know, it's like, I'm not a whore who does this for free lunches, not even great ones. So, you know, if we do this, I'm going to stay here for a few more days. And then it's three years later, <laughs> Frank barges out of the house during this fight about something. He wants like some paint, some gas for the lawnmower or something like that. He says that, you know, paying attention to things is how they show love. He's like, it's my street too. He's like, let me love it the way I want to. And he also wants to fix a couple of shops. He's like, we'll have friends and we'll invite them to visit. Bill's like, we don't have friends, Frank. We will never have friends because there are no friends to be had. Frank's like, well, you know, I've been talking to this nice woman on the radio and he like walks up, Bill's like, you what? <laughs> so then it cuts to like Tess and Joel are there. They're sitting outside like eating. Bill has his gun on the table and Frank's, he's like, can you not please? Joel says uh, that he's the same way. And Frank's like, oh, you're paranoid schizophrenic too? And Bill's like, I'm not schizophrenic. So Tess wants to thank them for the wonderful meal in such a beautiful place. So she's like, even if we don't end up working together. And Frank's like, oh, we are working together. And then, you know, Frank wants to show Tess something inside. And Bill's like, it's like, no, it's like not inside, Frank. So Joel just keeps sitting there, like, you know, eating, whatever, like that. He's like, I understand. He's like, if mine brought strangers into our situation, I wouldn't be happy either. But of all the people you could have found on the radio, we're actually decent people just trying to get by. And he's like, oh, well, aren't I the lucky one? And he's like, there's stuff that we have in the QZ that you don't have here. He's like, books, medicine, machine parts. We can help each other out. And he's like, and get that gun out of my face. But he says it like so matter-of-factly. And Bill just kind of looks at him and he like holsters a gun. Joel's like, so were you a prepper or something? And he's like, survivalist. Then Bill's like, you know, maybe you're decent people. It doesn't matter. It's like, we're self-sufficient here. He's like, you know, he says he doesn't need Joel or his friend complicating their lives. He's like, is that clear? Joel kind of smiles and he points. He's like, that fence has got a year on it, tops. He's like, galvanized wire already starting to corrode. He's like, I can get you 10 spools of high tensile aluminum, last you the rest of your life. Lives. Frank gave Tess like a, a, some piece of clothing or something like that. He's like, oh, it's a trade because you'll be back. And he says that. You know, they should use codes on the radio in case anyone's listening. And he mentions music, you know, 80s means trouble, whatever. She's like, oh, that's a good idea. And Joe says to Bill, is like, Federer's never going to come here. And you're well protected against stray infected. But sooner or later, there'll be raiders. And they'll beat that fence in your tripwires. They'll come at night, quiet and armed. And Bill's like, we'll be fine. Then it's three years later, 2013. Um, the metal looks more corroded. And there, there's like even like stacks of cars, like two or three high with barbed wire on top, you know, make, making more defensing. Frank and Bill are out jogging in the streets. You know, Bill can barely peek up, keep up. And then uh, Frank like surprises him. He's like, he wants to show him something, has to keep his eyes closed. So they go in back to some other random house. There's like a little strawberry patch there. He said that he traded Joel and test one of his, his guns for a packet of seeds. And then he's like, which gun? He's like, oh, it's a little one. They pick off a couple of strawberries and they, they toast to each other. They eat. They both laugh because it's like so good and everything. Like then Bill's like, I'm sorry. He's like, for what? For getting older, you know, faster than you. And he's like, I like you older. He's like, older means we're still here. Then Bill says that if he was never afraid before he showed up because Bill didn't had nothing to lose before. Later, raining at night, there's several armed bandits are coming. Like sensors start going off. There's like sparks, flamethrowers, gunshots. There's like big flame explosion. Frank wakes up, calls out the bill, but Bill's not there. 
you know, some of the bandits like catch on fire from the flamethrowers. Frank runs downstairs, grabs a gun out of like a little desk in the, the living room. He goes outside. There's like fire all along the gates. Bill's out in the, in the street, like shooting with a rifle. He yells at Frank. He's like, get inside. And then he gets like shot. And I don't know if it's because he was distracted or whatever, but then it's, it's not really clear. I think like more than one person got torched. So they're like all whatever they go inside. Bill's like shot in the side. And Frank's like working on him. And Bill's like, I made a list. He's like, you can't be her alone. And Frank's like, I'm not alone. Cause he's like with him. And he's like, call Joel. He's like, he'll take care of you. Then it's 10 years later, 2023. They're both alive. So Bill's still there, but Frank's in a wheelchair on the porch. He yells, you know, for Bill to bring him inside. Cause he's getting cold. Later, Frank does some like painting, you know, he's doing like portraits or whatever. They're eating dinner. Bill reminds him, you know, he's like, take your pills. Um, Frank has difficulty getting like that little baggie open. So, you know, Bill has to help him. He has to help him get into bed. And in the morning, Frank is in his chair when Bill gets up. He's like, it took me most of the night. He's like, I'm exhausted. Bill's like, oh, I don't want you falling asleep in a chair because your feet will turn blue. And he's, he's like, he's like, well, I'll stay up. And Bill's like, why? He's like, because this is my last day. Then it cuts to them in the living room. And Bill asks, he's like, what if we get a doctor? He's like, or what if a doctor shows up? And Frank's like, who's coming? A door-to-door MRI salesman? He's like, there wasn't anything to cure this before the world fell apart. Bill's just like upset. And Frank's like, you know, he's like, I've had a lot of bad days, but I've had more good days with you than anyone else. He's like, let me have one more good day. So he's like, I have plans. He's like, we can go to the boutique, get dressed up. We can get married. He's like, you can cook a nice dinner and then you'll crush up all the pills and put them in my wine. He's like, I'll fall asleep in your arms. Bill's, he's like in tears. And he's like, he's like, I can't. And Frank's like, do you love me? And he's like, yes. He's like, then love me the way I want you to. So Bill wheels them down to the boutique. They put on suits, they exchange rings, they have dinner. And I, I think it might have been like the same as like the first dinner. It was like rabbit something or whatever. And the wine was paired perfectly with it, whatever. Comes back with a new bottle, pours a crushed pills into one. Um, Frank just drinks it, like downs it all at once. And then Bill downs his and Frank looks at him. He's like, were there already pills in the bottle? And Bill's like, enough to kill a horse. He's like, this isn't a tragic suicide at the end of a play. He's like, I'm old. I'm satisfied. He's like, and you were my purpose. So Frank's like, well, I do not support this. And he says, so she's like, but, but this is incredibly romantic. So Joel and Ellie arrive at the gate. He enters a code to open it. He notices like the flowers in front haven't been watered, whatever. And I don't know if that's just you know, how long it's been like that. He opens the front door, tells her to say where she is. The old plates are still on the table, like with the food and stuff. Then she sees an envelope and a key on an end table. Joel knocks on the bedroom door. And, and then it's like, for some reason, the front door closes. So I don't know if it was the wind or something like that. I was like, did she go somewhere? But she's sitting in a dining room, like in a, in a, a chair. She's reading the letter. It's like, are you serious? She's like, it's from Bill. The envelope says to whomever, but probably Joel. She's like, I, I figured I fell under whomever. So I opened it and she slides the key over to him. And he's like, so they're dead. And she nods. She's like, do you want to read it? He's like, go ahead. So she's like, August 29th. 2023 if you find this please do not come in the bedroom we left the window open to the house so it wouldn't smell but it will probably be a sight i'm guessing you found this joel because anyone else would have been electrocuted or blown up by one of my traps <laughs> take anything you need the bunker code is the same as the gate code but in reverse anyway i never liked you but still 
It's like we're friends, almost, and I respect you. So I'm going to tell you something because you're probably the only person who will understand. I used to hate the world and was happy when everyone died, but I was wrong. There was one person worth saving. That's what I did. I saved him. Then I protected him. That's why men like you and me are there. We have a job to do, and God help any mofos who stand in our way. I leave you all of my weapons and equipment. Use them to keep, and then she stops reading. He like takes the letter, because then you see like he's holding it, and it says to keep Tess safe. That's why she stopped reading it. So then he tells her to stay, stay there. So he goes outside. He just, like looks at the letter, like finishes reading it, crumples it up. Goes to the garage, takes a tarp off a truck, looks under the hood, and I guess the battery is missing. So he's like, closes the hood. He's like, ah. Then there's like a fridge in the garage. He opens it up. There's like jars and Tupperware labeled sulf. So he goes back inside. So I, I guess sulfuric acid to make batteries. I don't know what how you make a battery. So he goes back inside. Ellie's actually still in the chair. I'm surprised she didn't move or whatever. Then he's like, show me your arm. She pulls up her sleeve, whatever, and you see it. Um, there's like no smart alk or marks or anything like that. It's scarred up, but it's healed. And, you know, even like the new bite, it's like it's starting to heal, whatever. He's like, I just finished making a truck battery. He's like, it's charging right now. And she's like, okay. He says that he has a brother out in Wyoming. He's in some kind of trouble and he's heading out there to find him. He's like, he used to be a firefly. So I guess he probably knows some of them out there. Maybe they can get you to where this lab is. And I was like, okay. Then... She's like, uh, listen, about tests, uh, and he stops her and says that he's taking her west, but there are some rules she's got to follow. He's like, rule one, you don't bring up tests ever. Matter of fact, we can just keep our histories to ourselves. Rule two, you don't tell anyone about your condition. They see that bite mark, they won't think it through. They'll just shoot you. Rule three, you do what I say when I say it. We clear? She's like, yes. He's like, repeat it. She's like, what you say goes. They go down to the basement where all the guns are, and she tries taking a gun again. He's like, no. She's like, but there's a whole wall of them. And he just like glares at her. They start packing stuff up, and then she's like, they have hot water. She's like, I'm showering. Then you're showering. Seriously. So I guess he stinks. They look around the living room, or and he's he must be showering because she's looking around, and then uh, she like looks in the desk. She finds a gun that was in the desk that that Frank grabbed. He starts coming out. She shoves it in her backpack. He comes down and she's like, well, don't you look pretty? He's like, shut up. <laughs> and then he like tosses her some deodorant and she's like, oh. In the car, she like starts looking around and like moving stuff. He's like, this is your first time in a car? She's like, it's like a spaceship. Then she looks in a glove box. She finds a cassette in there. She's like, Linda Ronstadt. And you know, she, he's like, do you know who that is? She's like, she just looks at him. She's like, and he puts it or she puts it in and then she's like not impressed and she's like well it's better than nothing he opens the gate with the remote they leave and then the camera pans back to the window in the bedroom and you know you see like the, them driving away from the, from the window from the open window and that's how it ends so it was like so sad it's so i i couldn't believe when it, when i when i was like oh you know, Bill and Frank are a couple. Okay, great. You know, the survivalists and what's going to happen. But then you just see like how much they really cared for each other. I mean, it was so touching and it was so emotional. You know, you see they truly cared for each other and just this relationship, this survival, you know, end of the world and they're together and then they die together. Oh, goodness. 
So it was, it was, it was, I mean, it's emotional. I'm, I'm getting a little emotional now just thinking about it. Cause like, isn't that what everyone wants to have that like perfect relationship or whatever? And, and it was not a perfect world situation, but they had each other and that's all that mattered. I guess since I haven't played the game, I guess they mix things up a little bit. They tweak things or change it, which is fine, which is cool. Um, Cause I guess in the game, Bill and Frank were a couple, but Frank had already died. So I guess they didn't do this, you know, die together type of thing. So I think that's kind of interesting, you know, to, to change it like that. Just to, because again, if you if you played the game and you're watching this, you know, I don't think you necessarily would want the same exact thing. So I, I think I think it's kind of cool that they would change that. But it was good at, at first. When I'm I'm like, oh, this is all flashback. This is all about them. And like, but it it was fine. Uh, it I'm not upset that there was less you know, Joel and, and Ellie. So I, I thought it was really cool, even though they're both dead and they're not moving forward. But again, we got to see Tess again, which I, you know, I thought she was done, but you know, she was in a flashback. So I, I really, I really enjoyed the episode. I thought it was really good. Okay. Then, um, unfortunately I, I think I'm only going to talk about the first episode of poker face. So poker face is on uh, peacock, right? So it says the ran, ran Johnson, um, show it has a uh, Natasha. I always forget her her name. Natasha Leone. I think that's how you say it. Lion Leone. I, so I want they they the sort of problem is they dropped four episodes the first week, and as I record this now, I only watched the first episode. I thought you know maybe I could you know get in a couple more or something like that, and I thought about well maybe I'll wait to record this a little later, but I, I got to record this now. So I do like the show. I don't think I'm going to be covering it because of this four episode thing. And then it's, it's going to be dropping like um, actually by the time you listen to this, the, the fifth episode dropped because now it's, it's going to weekly. So I will hopefully be able to watch this, but there's just so much to watch and, you know, so much to read. I, I can't, I cannot keep up with, with stuff. So I wanted to check it out at least to talk about it briefly to, you know, just to share my, my first impressions on, on the first episode. And I, I did like it. So I, you know, I, I think Natasha, Leon, I, I really like her. You know, I liked Russian Doll. I didn't like the second season as much as the first season, but I think you know she's there's something about her. You know, one you know she's got that distinctive voice, which is just like something. But I, she's just really cool and hip with with the roles that she plays and just how she comes across. And here, you know, basically she has this ability where she can tell when someone's lying. It's not really clear. You know, is this a superpower? Are we talking like, you know, superhuman abilities or magic or, or is it just she's just really has really good instincts? So what we we see, it's it's interesting the way that the story play. And I, I don't know, I, I, I guess I'm going to do full spoilers for the first episode because since there's so many out now, but it, it turns it starts off at this like uh, I think it was Ve- I'm pretty sure it's Vegas as a casino. Maybe it's it, I guess it does not necessarily in vegas but this you know lady working at a hotel you know doing room service whatever she goes in this room and she sees something on uh the laptop the laptop's open and she's like kind of freaks out she takes a picture of with her phone and she leaves and turns out the dude was like in the bathroom or something like that and there's like this big white dude in a robe whatever comes out so she doesn't know what to do. She goes like straight to the top and you know shows a picture that this dude had this horrible thing and you know what did they do about it? And he's like, like oh, I'm you know glad you showed me this and everything like that. All this everything like that. 
And she's like, well, I, I got to go up and, and get, you know, I left the, the, the supply cart up outside. And they're like, don't worry about it. He's like, just, just we're going to take you home, whatever. And she's like, well, I have to clock out. They're like, don't worry about it. We'll take care of it. They go home, walk in the front door, shoot her as soon as she walks in, and her boyfriend shoots him. And, and it's just like, what? Then it cuts back where we, we see uh, Natasha Leon. So her, her character... Her character's name is uh, Charlie, I believe, and you know she lives in this trailer. Like, uh, and she she works. It turns out she works at this casino too. You know, she's like a cocktail waitress in, in the, the the casino there, and and she's actually friends with the the woman that, that got shot. And we, we see like you know it cuts back because like her she like kind of caught her her boyfriend husband cheating on her because there's um, like pictures that popped up on the 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 screensaver things she's like who's he sending pictures of his junk to or type of thing you know he got mad and like hit her she had his like black eye or whatever and so but then like later he comes to the casino like where where are you at because he she's like trying to call her but she doesn't have her phone on her you know when she's working and stuff like that they like he and he actually has like a, a gun in his ankle and they, they like take that away from him and you know then he they sent him off then we we see you know then the other stuff happens and it's so basically it's it's the the they used his gun to to do this and uh the casino is run by adrian brody he's like the 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 son of the big casino owner and benjamin brad is like his uh, chief of security or whatever like that so he's the one that that killed the people he um ends up finding out he calls charlie into his office adrian brody does and he found out about, I guess his dad knew about her, like her Billy. So she has this ability, or because she she started playing poker. You know, she would go around, go to like small casinos, not even like really super super big casinos or anything like that, and she would just wipe everyone out. She would just win, and then she would leave, go down, go to some other little casino, win everything. She was doing this, but he's like you know, gamblers talk. So word got around about her. And then that's kind of like how his dad found out or, or whatever like that. So she has this, um, this ability, whatever, where she can tell whenever someone is, is lying. You know, it's just, it's just like that. You know, he like holds up a card. He's like, is this a three of clubs? She's like, BS, 10 of hearts, BS. Another one, king of, of diamonds, and she doesn't say anything, and it was, it was right. So somehow she can just tell. And he's like, I don't have a, a ticker, you know, whatever, anything. And she's like, I don't know. I can't explain it. So he basically wants to use her because uh, – so the, the dude who's – I don't know. I feel like I'm just all rambling all over the place now. The the dude whose room the housekeeper – housekeeping looked at, he's like this big – they call him a whale. You know, he's like this big spender – and, you know, he was like in the presidential suite or whatever. So he he does these like private games and basically they want to kind of set him up or something like that. And they want to use her to see like when he's bluffing or not, because he's like gambling across, you know, they're in a casino, like sitting across the, or across the room. And he's like betting and, and Agent Brody's like, is he bluffing? And she's like, no, and he puts his card down. And he wins. So she's able to tell from even across the room. And he's like he doesn't want her in the room when he's doing this game. Cause he might recognize her from, from the casino from, you know, serving drinks. See, cause he's like, can you do it over like video? And she's like, I probably, I think so. So they're going to set up some cameras and stuff like that 
But Alamin, you know, at the same time, she finds out her friend was killed. And it's like it was reported that it was supposed to be like, like a murder-suicide type of thing. And she's like, that doesn't make sense. And and she's trying to investigate it, trying to, you know, dig in and, and stuff like that. And Agent Brody, meanwhile, he's just like, you know, why'd you go to the police about this? He's like, we're handling this. And, you know, we don't want to. T-. But it also turns out, like, he kind of owns the police in that town. So they, they like, do what he says. And um, she was able to, uh, Charlie was able to get. A, a picture of what was on her phone because I think I don't know if they took her phone or something like that but into her, the house and she was able to get into her iPad because I it, it there's you know she uses the same code for everything it, it came out earlier there was nothing on an iPad but she was she saw it on the cloud or something like that and, and she was able to, to get that but she goes to Adrian Brody with it she's like this is what happened she must have showed this and then they killed her and you know so she doesn't realize, but then she she finds out that it was that they were in and that they they did it, and it's like the the night of the big game, and she's supposed to be you know getting ready. She's supposed to be you know you know waiting for him to, to come and all the stuff like that, but she confronts them, and they kind of like threaten her and stuff like that, obviously. But it turned out that she, because they like take her, she's like, take her phone, see if she's recording this. He's like, you know, I'm not going to fall for that. She's like, I'm not in the bedroom, Brass, like, she's not recording this. And she's like, yeah, I, I'm not recording this conversation. But she recorded an earlier conversation and she shared it with the the whale dude. And she's like, and you know how gamblers talk? So like, it's like, you're getting blacklisted. So Adrian Brody is going to be screwed because no one's going to want to gamble, gamble there knowing that they're running like some sort of scam or whatever. So then uh, Adrian Brody gets up. He's, he knows he's toast. He's screwed. His dad is, is there's no way to get out of this. He walks out to the balcony, just jumps right off. And Benjamin Bratt like runs out. There's nothing to do. He's dead. Charlie takes off and she manages to barely get away. And, you know, they're, they're like, she ends up getting shot too. And he's like shooting her at the hall. He's a bad shot, but he, he does hit her. She takes off or whatever, and then uh, it it kind of ends where she gets a call, and you know she's hesitant to pick it up. It's it's from Adrian Brody's dad, and basically he's blaming her for his son's death, which is stupid. And he and he's he's like, you know, you're not going to get away from this. And he's like, I'm going to find you or whatever. And and so, so so basically, I guess the premise of the show then is her trying to get away with Benjamin Bratt, like after her, because I was like. This first episode, I was like, you know, if this is like the the murder of the week, I thought this was more like a detective show. I didn't realize this is ongoing, like she's on the run. So I was, I was like, wow, Adrian Bodie ordered this murder. Benjamin Bratt killed this lady and her husband. So I guess he's not going to be in a show because, you know, the, the murder is going to get solved. They're going to go off to jail. Nope. The murder got solved. But now Benjamin Bratt is chasing her or something like that. So I don't know how good of an explanation that was, but um, I'm, I'm definitely interested to see where this is going to go. It's it's not the show that I thought it was going to be because I didn't you know want to look read too deeply into it, find out anything like that, which I'm kind of glad I did. So I'm really curious to watch the rest of this. I just don't know when I'm going to be able to, and I I would. I'd love to talk about this on a show, but I just feel, you know, my personal thing, I'm so far behind. I can't keep up with it. You know, if there was less shows to that, you know, if there was other stuff going on. You know, if this was like maybe a few weeks later, like after National Treasure or Bad Batch or something finished, I would do it. But I don't I just I feel like it's it's too late now because 
yeah, even if I just do one this week, I'm so far behind. And I know it's not a big deal, but and maybe it's it's I don't even I don't know if this is a typical quote unquote podcast show, but it is worth watching if you have um, Peacock. You should watch it. I also wanted to watch uh, the resort. I need to finish that, and that's I'm really you know I like Kristen Milioti. I still haven't finished that, so I just I need more time in my life. But that's the first episode of, of Poker Face. It's 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 really good. I, I really want to see more, and I think you should watch it if you can. Okay, with Star Wars The Bad Batch, Season 2, Episode 6, Tribe. Uh, I actually like this episode. It um, is it a filler episode? You know, as, as I mentioned, you know, I, I talked to my, some, a couple of my students who are really into the show, and a lot of these episodes this season, they, they kind of feel like they've they just been filler. Even the the Crosshair episode, while it, you know, it focused on him, it didn't really move the whole thing forward. And, and it, it just feels like a lot of these episodes are kind of focusing on different ones, you know, cause with the, I forget what the episode was, the, the racing one that kind of focused on tech and his ability to, you know, race and go, go into race and, and everything like that. So it's like, it's not really moving the whole overall, you know, these clones are on a run for an empire. They're trying to find her away. And everything. it's just like, boom, 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 boom. So this one, while, you could almost argue it's the same thing. It just feels like it has a bigger purpose because, you know, the, the clones are really, you know, they, they make, they take a stand. They take a really big stand and, and they, they do the right thing. So it, it starts off the same, the same way where, you know, they're on a mission. So the, their ship arrives at this big space station and Hunter says that, you know, Sid says that the, the Vanguard Axis is notorious for illegal smuggling. So they're there to, you know, deliver some stuff. He, Tech, and Wrecker are going to deliver something. And then he, he tells Echo and Omega to, to stay and guard the ship. The place, I, I guess the, the Vanguard Axis, I don't know, maybe we've seen them before. I, I, I don't remember if we have or not. But they're, the, the place is run by a bunch of droids. This droid leader asked them if they have the forgeries because they, they need to ascertain their viability or something like that. And Tech's like, that will not be necessary. He's like, I created the chain codes my, myself. He's like, they will fool the Empire. But the, the droid leader, he's he says his assurance is meaningless and he orders some of the droids to check each code separately. But I'm, I'm kind of looking at this. This didn't happen. But I was like, if they're checking these codes, could they just be like recording the codes or stealing the codes? Like, where's the guarantee that they're going to pay them? But I guess that doesn't really happen. At, at the ship, Omega's, she's kind of, they're bored and everything. She's like, something's off about this place. She's like, I don't like it. Echo says, you know, he doesn't like it either. He's like, but we won't be here long. So he, he goes inside. He's like, I'm going to prep the ship. Then Omega hears something. It's, it's closed caption says it's a Wookiee howl. So she goes investigate. Two droids are like zapping a Wookiee with like a stun baton thing. And she's like, stop. It's like, you're hurting him. And then the droid's like, halt, humanoid. Do not interfere in Vanguard Axis business. The Wookiee kind of uses distraction to like shoved one aside and then blocks the other, and, you know, starts attacking whatever. Um, then the first returns to strike and Omega shoots it with her bow and arrow. So she probably just stuns it. Cause I don't think they, I think their blasters are always set to stun because they're supposed to be the good guys, whatever. And then more droids are coming. So she tells the Wookiee to follow her. Wookiee starts like looking in some crate and everything. And Omega's like, we need to get going. But Echo uh, finds them and tells them, you know, tells her to get back to the ship. The, the Wookiee growls at him and she's like, it's okay. He's a friend. Then the Wookiee runs and Omega's like, like, the droids are after him. We have to follow. And Echo just like sighs. He's like, here we go again. Echo's, you know, bringing us on some crazy whatever chase. 
the droids are are still checking the codes with with the others, and then the leader gets a call about a, a situation that you know they're having now, and then there's gunfire in the background. Then Hunter's like, "Problem." The droid leader just walks out of the room, and you know others go too. Then Tech's like, "The cause of that blaster fire is either Echo or Omega, most likely Omega." So then Echo calls Hunter, saying they they need backup now. So Omega, Echo, and the Wookiee are pinned down by a bunch of droids. You know they're, they're shooting at them. Hunter shoots the what the droid in the front, his blaster out of his hand, and he's like, "They're with us." And then the droid's like, "I would advise you to take your soldiers and extricate yourselves from this situation." Omega stands and raises her bow. She's like, "No, you're going to hurt him." And then the the droid's like, "Oh, on the contrary, the Wookiee is worth a great deal to our buyer alive." Hunter's like, you can't smuggle living beings. And the Axis leader's like, for the right price, I can do whatever I want. Now stand down or... And then the Wookiee like raises his hand. Something moves and then like flies his hand. It's a lightsaber. Shroom, turns it on. They're, the, the clones are they're like kind of surprised by this. Droid starts shooting. The Wookiee blocks the blast. The clones are returning fire. Hunter's out, like, get to the ship. When they get to the ship, the Wookiee seems like hesitant to get on. Omega's like, like, come on. He's like, we need to go. Get on. They take off. They're in hyperspace. Uh, Wookiee's like sitting in the back. Omega's like, why is he sitting back there all alone? And Hunter's like, because he's scared. He's like, he's been through a lot. So Omega goes, brings him some food, and you know, tries saying, you know, it's okay. The others come up, and he like growls at them. And Hunter's, he's like, he understands. He's like, he doesn't trust us. And Tech's like, well, seeing as how all clones were given the order to execute the Jedi, he has good reason to be cautious. So Hunter says he's sorry for what happened. He's like, we're not like the other clones. He's like, we did not follow that order. He's like, and we don't work for the Empire either. Omega says, like, Hunter's telling the truth. So then the Wookiee starts eating and then she sits and says that her, she's her name's omega she's like what's your name he starts speaking you know in the uh shiri rook whatever language while chewing and hunter's like my my wookie's a little rusty but i think he says his name is is gunji and gunji is like says something else tech i guess can translate some stuff too he says that he's been on a run since order 66 he was attempting to reach kashik the wookie homeworld um, before he was captured by these smuggling droids. And Hunter says that he's impressed that he survived this this long on his own. Omega says that they can take him to his home world, <laughs> of course. And Hunter's like, well, it's been a while since we've been, you know, to Kashyyyk. And Echo then quietly to like Hunter's like, the Empire could have outposts there by now. He's like, we don't know if it's safe there for him. And Hunter's like, he's a Jedi. It's not safe for him anywhere. They come out of hyperspace, like right outside Kashyyyk. They're going to head to a village that they know of, and hopefully the Wookiees there can help um, Gunji find his people. So Echo says he's picking up like heavy smoke in deforestation. He tells Gunji to keep the, the laser sword hidden, or Hunter Hunter tells him that, because it, it'll draw attentions that, that they don't want. So they land. They start walking through the trees. Um, they ask Gunji if he, any of this looks familiar, and it's, it's like it vaguely, you know, he vaguely remembers this from like dreams. Because, you know, he's probably like a little little kid when he was taken. There's a bunch of webs they start walking through. So they start cutting through. That can't be a good idea. Come on. These giant, like, spidery creatures, they're not so much like spiders. They, they don't look as, as gross as spiders. But they, they come down. The clones get ready to shoot them. And Gunji, like, he, like, says something. He's like, they will not attack unless they pose a, a threat. So, and he holds his hand out. And then the, the creatures just, like, crawl away. And they just they walk under the webs. So the village is straight ahead. They get there. The place is torched. 
And Hunter says, you know, he looks at the ground. He's like, tanks came through here. And he's like, the Empire incinerated an entire village. Gunji just like whimpers, falls to his knees. Omega tries making it about her. And she's like, the Empire destroyed our home too. She's like, that's not going to make him feel better. Then she's like, you know, don't worry. He's like, we'll find your people. They hear some something, some commotion, you know, far off. There's some uh, Tandoshans, like there's like flames and stuff like that. And they have a Wookiee hostage. Hunter's like, oh, how did they get their hands on Imperial tanks? So there's one in the tank, sends this transmission to another Transdoshan, like Commander Venomore, says that they found more of the carved stones. And he's like, stay on schedule. It's like, blast them to dust. So the tank turret turns like, they start just like shooting flames at the stones. I, I mean, I guess they're going to, incinerate burn them but it's like you think you'd want to shoot them the wookie like tr tries like shoving or whatever then they just like whip him with something then gunji runs out takes out his lightsaber and they're like oh man he starts fighting the trans oceans uh frees the wookie you know cuts his binds the clones start shooting at, at them at the trans oceans they disable the tank like gunji just like sticks his lightsaber in and just starts like carving away they shoot the others and everything like that Hunter's like, you know, we need to stop the flames from spreading. So he's like, you know, start digging. So I don't know if they're going to dig trenches or just dirt. I don't know. Gunji then, you know, later looks around. Uh, big creatures coming. They hear something. Three warrior Wookiees on these kind of like big cat-like creatures with big ears arrive. I've never seen these before. And I don't know if they've ever been depicted in anything. But they they looked a little, they look kind of cute. Not really fierce, but whatever. So they go to this other village, the, the tribe leader, her name is Yana. She comes out. Hunter tells her that they're returning Gunji to his home world, but he doesn't know what village he's from. And they, they you know, Yana and, and Gunji, they kind of like bow heads together, whatever. And then Yana says something and Hunter's like, we were soldiers of the Republic, but let's just say we don't see eye to eye with the Empire. And he like takes off his helmet and you know, it's just out of respect or whatever. He says that they, they came there because Gunji was in trouble. And he's like, you know, Jedi or not, uh, he's still a child and he needs his people. There's more tanks with, with uh, Transdotions. Uh, they arrive at that, that location, whatever. And they actually have stormtroopers or clone troopers with them. Uh, I don't know if it's this Commander Venomore, but he comes out and he notices like the lightsaber marks. And uh, one of the clone troopers is like, a surviving Jedi? And then the trooper's like, we have to notify Imperial Command. Venomore is like, not if I find a Jedi first. So he tells the other to raise the jungle to its roots. And he's like, a hundred Wookiee pelts to whoever finds a Jedi. At the village, Yana has agreed to let Gunji stay with them. And someone's like, well, what about the Transoceans? And Hunter says that the Empire has been using them to strip the planet's resources. Many of the villagers have fled deeper into the jungle. And texts like Yana scouts he comes in, he's like, Yana scouts are reporting a large convoy is headed in this direction. And she says to leave. But Echo's like, the Wookiees were our allies for years. He's like, we have to do something. Hunter says to Yana, he's like, we'll stay and help you fight them. And Yana's, as she says something, I don't know if she says no, but he's like, you don't have to do this alone. The Wookiees then go outside of this like hut and they all put like the hand on a tree and Hunter Omega's like, what are you doing? And Hunter's like, they're asking the trees for help. And Tex says that, you know, they believe that the planet belongs to the trees and that they are allies in this fight. So an Echo sees Transocean convoy coming. He's looking at binoculars. Gunji runs up. The trees have a plan. Hunter's like, oh, okay. Convoy gets surprised by a thermal detonator that's like tossed under a tank. They're like, ambush. They start fighting, attacking blasters. Cat creatures with the riders jump down. Gunji starts blocking blasts. Venomar sees the Jedi. He pulls out this like 
a little flamethrower. Um, he shoots, hits like one of his men. Gunji, I don't know if he like tries luring him away because he like runs off and, and Venomar follows. The Wookiees start banging on trees and more tanks start, start um, you know, come up. The spider creatures come down and, and start attacking too. Venomar starts like torching the forest. He kind of makes like a fire ring around him, which is like how you can get out of there, dude. And then Gunji like is jumping around. Uh, he, you know, he's he's trying to sh- shoot flames at, at Gunji, but then like three spider creatures come and, and kind of like push like uh, Gunji out of the way. They kind of like start like jabbing at him or whatever, and then they like web him up and they take him away. So poetic justice or whatever, he's he's out of there. Omega and Gunji run to the others. She's like, the fire is spreading too fast. So he's like, get the others. So I guess they they do more digging or whatever and put the fire out. <laughs> Back at the village. Hunter is like looking at Gunji and Omega. You know, they're outside. They have their hand in a tree. Yana comes up and he's like, they're both just kids, but they don't get to be not in this galaxy. She speaks. She says something. Text like translates. He's like, when a young one leaves, the trees weep. But when they return, the trees sing. As this child has found his new home, perhaps one day we will all find a new path. Hunter's like, well, hopefully one far away from war. And that's the end. So it, it was good, and and I don't know if it was the fact that we get a Wookiee Jedi, you know, and um, I'm pretty sure that the Gunji was, was has been seen before, and I don't know if it was, I think there's like some connection with like uh, Pat or with uh, Ahsoka or something like that. I don't I don't really remember uh, my memory. Would you know it's an overload, but I don't know if it was because we had a Jedi Wookiee that made this cooler. Part of me was like, hey, well. You know, since they all lost their home, maybe Gunji should just hang out with them and, you know, it could add them to, you know, be part of the Bad Batch or whatever because they all, you know, lost something and everything. But that's not the case. Gunji's going to stay on Kashyyyk, which is, which is fine, you know, because if you think about it, Gunji's, you know, a, not maybe not a Jedi Knight or anything like that. But what better place to hide than on a planet full of Wookiees? You know, you're a Wookiee, hide among Wookiees. There's no way anyone can find him unless he's like whipping his lightsaber around. So it was a good episode all around, and and I I just really liked that the you know they they lost her deal, so Sid's not going to be too happy about that because you know they had all these. But I guess that, on the other hand, it's not like they really lost any merchandise because uh, Tech made the codes himself, so it's not like Sid got the supplies or trying to sell it or something like that. So they just did the right thing, and it all worked out, and it was just it was a, a cool adventure. I thought. So I really like the episode, even though it doesn't really push them forward along the line, but it just shows what they're about, you know, helping people out. So I thought that was really good. Okay, then with National Treasure Edge of History, Season 1, Episode 9, A Meeting with Salazar. So it starts off, Billy's SCV arrives at the airport in Mexico. Rafael tries, like, propositioning one of Billy's goons. He asks him if he wants to get rich or something like that. And, you know, he's saying it in Spanish. And it, the dude's, like, in English, he's like, I'm from Ohio. He's like, I don't speak Spanish. But it's like, <laughs> you're, you're kind of crazy. You're going to try to pay off one of Billy's goons. As they walk inside and Rafael says to Jess, he's like, I have a plan. She's like, I do too. And she mentions that she still has Ethan's phone. He's like, oh, that's a better plan than mine. So I, I, it, it's almost like uh, her dad is not that he's like bumbling or anything like that, but I kind of like that. It, it's like there's like elements of humor that you know he's he's not totally. I mean, he spent twenty years in jail, so obviously he's he's not the smoothest guy. Um, but then Billy says that she's like, "I will take your journal now," because you know she's lame; she can't do anything for herself. 
And she's like, I told you that I heard everything. <laughs> I, I still think it's crazy that she puts a tracker in his shoe, but it also has a microphone. <laughs> so then uh, this one of the like the luggage carrier things goes by and then Billy looks at Jess. So somehow, so I just did something here because Billy looks at Jess. Ethan gave you something. And she's like, yeah, his credit card, but I didn't take it. And obviously, Billy doesn't believe her. So she tells Casey to search her, and she searches everything like that and doesn't find anything. And she's like, and keep them separated. And Casey whispers as she's like searching. She's like, you should have stayed on our side. So it turns out Jess managed to stick Ethan's phone in a bag. It was actually in Casey's bag. And it's, it's kind of sticking out of the pocket for our benefit, for we can see it, but it's almost like it's so obvious. Oren and Liam, they decide to go to the FBI office. Oren is like pacing back and forth. He's super nervous. Liam's like, like, don't worry about it. But Oren is like, you know, you told that FBI lady that your grandpa's nurse was killed because of a treasure hunt. She didn't believe a word of it. She's like, did you see her, her face? You know, and she's going to ask me about the prison break in Mexico. What am I supposed to say? Uh, he's like, am I, am I under oath or something? And Liam's like, no. He's like, that's not how it works. He's like, you don't have to say anything. And Oren's like, well, that's just hard for me because, you know, he just talks so much. He rambles. And, you know, Liam's like, you know, don't worry. He's, he's like, they're going to find Miles' body, and that will prove our story. Then they'll go after Billy and arrest her. And, and then, you know, so, but if you think about this, it's like 10 bucks that the body's been taken care of. You know, they're not just going to leave a dead body there. So Agent Ross comes in and says that the Baton Rouge PD went to the house and didn't find Miles' body. So someone owes me 10 bucks. But there was a broken window and the door to the clue room was missing. So then Liam sits and he's like, they hid the body and the door with the bullet holes in it. He's like, these people are professionals. He's like, they have you believing it just killed my grandpa when Billy did it. So she's like, I want to believe you, but you have to look at it from where I'm sitting. Um, she's like, Miles, I forgot his last name. She's like, Miles is the one who brought me the evidence proving that Jess killed your grandpa. But then he tells you that Billy killed his grandpa and now he's dead and there's no body. So she's like, why don't you just tell me where Mexico Jess is? And Liam's like, we don't know. And he's like, we're afraid that Billy has her. And Agent Ross is like, well, we have no evidence of that. Oren finally sits and he's like, Billy did kidnap me. And she's like, really? He said she didn't before because Billy threatened him and his friends. He's saying, now he's saying that he's telling the truth now. He's like, put me on a polygraph. And Liam hisses. He's like, no, he's like, that's not a good idea. He's like, we talked about this. And Agent Ross is like, why isn't that a good idea? He's like, what are you hiding? And then he's like, nothing. He's like, let's do this. So, Oren, what are you doing? Ethan and Tasha are in handcuffs. Or I, I think, yeah, they're in handcuffs. And uh, they're in the FBI building. At first, I'm like, are they just in the same FBI building or another one? So Ethan's like, he's like, I'm not an attorney yet, but I suggest you don't say anything. And she's like, have you met me? Oren took his test, and apparently, you know, it's, it's over and done with. You know, we, we don't see any of it. And he's like, did I pass? And she's like looking at the results, and she's like, yes. And Oren's like, go arrest Billy. Then this other agent tells her that the two others have been brought in. And he's like, what other two? Ross is like, I'm asking a question. She's like, thank you for your help. You've been really or, you know, helpful or whatever. And he's like, what, what, what? So she like leaves the room. Ross talks to Tasha 
And Tasha's like, nice scare tactics, but I know you have nothing on me in that file. She's holding this little file in her hand. And Ross is like, it's not your file. It's your grandmother, Pearl Barker, an activist for racial equality in the 60s. You know, your grandma was on every criminal watch list. That forced her into hiding. Tasha's like, well, I haven't spoken to my grandma in years. So if you're looking for her, I don't know where she is. Ross is like, that's a lie, but I don't care. I know the charges against her were trumped up. She was targeted for standing up for her basic rights. It's obviously where you get your fighting spirit from. It's almost like, like it's like you're trying too hard to kiss up to her. It's like tone it down a little bit. And she's like, she continues that like what happens to her grandmother affects the whole, the whole family. And she's like, I get why you don't trust us. When you and Jess first came in here, I didn't take you seriously. It's like, I was wrong. I know that now because your friend, Oren, just passed a polygraph. You were telling the truth then. I need you to do it now. It's like, my boss is convinced Jess murdered Peter Sadusky. I am not. I think Billy's behind it, and your friends are concerned she might have Jess now. So please tell me the last place you saw Jess. Let me help, you know, let me try to help you find her. And Tasha gives her a look. She's like, forget it. You're just trying to manipulate me, saying what you think I want to hear so you can find Jess and arrest her. Exactly how dumb do you think I am? Ross takes off her FBI jacket and her badge. She's like, you don't have to trust this, but maybe you could trust me. And Tasha's like, you know what I see? A typical Fed using information as a weapon. Arrest the right person next time and stop treating us like criminals. But yet how many laws has she broken? How many safes has she broken into? Or what about like Graceland? How many laws were hacking into computers and ham- breaking a dude out of prison? You are a criminal, Tasha. She says that you know if she wants to make things right, start there. You know, let them go. And so then, uh, Agent Ross reaches, takes off Tasha's cuffs, and she's like, "Wait, you're really letting us go? What's the catch?" Ross is like, "There's no catch." And she takes out like a business card. She's like, "That's my personal cell phone number. If you change your mind, please call anytime." And Tasha's like, "Wait, your name is Hannah Betsy Ross?" And she like shrugs. She's like, "My mom liked to sew." Then she, Ross walks out of the room. So she and Ethan start walking out of the building. You know, they're walking through whatever the, the big area. And he's like, why did Ross let us go? And she's like, she's trying to good cop us. And he's like, shouldn't she have bad copped us first? And, you know, she just wants to get out of there. Then they run into Orrin and Liam. And Orrin's like, what are you doing here? And Liam's like, where's Jess? They go over to get Orrin's van out of impound. He's like upset because it's cost like 350 bucks. Liam asks, uh, you know, what was Jess's dad's plan to get her back, you know, to the States? You know, where are they supposed to meet her? Ian's like, we're not sure. You know, Jess was supposed to call us when they got across the border. And Tasha's like, she hasn't called yet. Liam's like, well, then why don't you call her? Ethan calls, but there's no answer. So the phone must be off. Then Tasha's like, I'll ping her location. But it's like, how are you going to do that? So she's going to do it from burner phone, I guess. I don't know. Tasha swipes a couple screens. And like in a second and a half, she's like, just turned off the phone 16 hours ago in Cholula, Mexico. Liam's like, Billy's got her. So Liam's like, we got to go down to Mexico. Orrin's like, if Billy's got her, they'd be long gone from the last location. Tasha says that, you know, maybe they can still track it using its IMEI identity. She just needs to get her gear. Because she can do anything when it comes to computers. Um, on Billy's jet, she's reading Raphael's journal. And he's, he's like, 
he says that she already knows what's in the journal. And she asks, then why were you hiding it from me? And he's like, she's like, back in Mexico, you were about to tell Jess you knew how to find a treasure once you got the devil's swamp. And I'm betting that answer is in this book. He's like, it's just a book of memories. And Jess is like, <laughs> so Jess is sitting like a, a kind of a little ways away from them with a, at a little table with Casey. And she's like nervously looking at Ethan's phone sticking out of the bag that's like happens to be on, her, on the floor by her feet. She tries like kind of like pushing it forward with her foot, whatever. Casey's looking over at Billy and Raphael, listening to what they're saying, but she keeps like whipping her head back <laughs> at Jess. And then Jess is just, just like, her head like jerks and her eyes. It's like so obvious that something's going on. It's just, it's almost, it's almost funny. So Raphael says that he had to journal because he's a sentimental fool. He doesn't want to forget things, but he understands why she would. He's like, Sebastian told me about your parents. He's like, horrible thing for a 10-year-old to see. Um, so Casey's like, definitely, she's really curious about this conversation. And he, you know, Raphael's like, London, right? Christmas shopping, an IRA attack that had nothing to do with your family? No 10-year-old should have to see that. It's a tragedy. And she's like, I learned a valuable lesson. Never dwell on the past. And he's like, that's con con uh, that's confusing considering all treasure hunters do is dwell on the past. So and then she, you know, she pulls out the pencil from the journal and she's like, no, treasure hunters, fine things. What do we have here? Casey keeps looking over and like whipping her head back at Jess and Jess manages to get, to get Ethan's phone. Billy pulls off the eraser from the pencil and it's hollow inside, which is so absolutely ridiculous that she's, she's doing this. So inside the pencil, there's like a pin or like a needle in there. This is what you've been hiding from me? And he's like, it's just Manuela's old sewing needle, nothing more. Then why haven't you taken a breath since I found it? My eyes are like rolling so so much at this point. Uh, Jess turns on Ethan's phone, but it's like, is she going to even have reception? It's like, it's, is she going to be doing, be able to do anything with that? Then Casey sees her bags move. Did you move my bag? What did you take? Get up. And so she like searches her again. Then there's like nothing. She's like, see? And she says like, sit down. So she somehow left this, the phone on the seat and uh, Casey didn't see it. Ross shows up late to a lunch date with the doctor, the, the medical, exam medical examiner. She orders a big glass of wine. He's like, uh, you do know it's lunchtime, right? She's like, oh, I've, it's been a day. So he's like, would flowers help? He pulls out a, a bouquet made of like wrappers and she's like looking at it, it's like candy wrappers. He's like, we got flaming hot Cheetos, Tic Tacs and Airheads. That's all the food that has orange dye number 47 in it. So it's to help with the Sandusky case. She smiles. She's like, that's the sweetest gift anyone's ever given me. And she sighs. She's like, it's too late. My boss wants me to arrest Jess for, for the murder of Sandusky. But, and he's like, you don't want to get it wrong again. She says all her evidence points to Billy. First, uh, the further, farther incident and the confession. And then she you know, takes out a, a signed affidavit from Oren attesting to being kidnapped by Billy. He also passed a polygraph. The doc's like, this is real evidence. Did you take it to Hendrix? And she says that he dismissed it. You know, polygraphs can be beat. He thinks Orrin's a good liar. He says that, you know, none of it adds up. The, you know, the, she's like, the kid was sweating through every pore in his body. If he lied on a polygraph, he, he would have redlined. So then he asks, he's like, well, what are you, what are you doing here? You know, why, you guys should be doing something. She doesn't, he says that she doesn't need Hendrix's approval. To, she should just go question Billy. And she's like, well, not only do I not know where she is, but I'm not going to get a confession out of her. 
and she says that she should just enjoy her lunch and she starts you know cutting some bread and then then she's you know she can't let it go she continues about liam and his story that he just brought in billy's people killed uh sadusky's nurse in the study and she says the police went there there's no body and he's like the doc's like well if they didn't find a body they'd have no reason to search for bloodstains would they and she's like are you thinking what i'm thinking i have my kit in my car so they get up and she's like i can't believe i found you in a morgue and, and she kisses him on the cheek at first i was like but she ordered a wine and you know he ordered bread or whatever he slapped some money down on the table and they, they leave so two of billy's goons are driving with miles and a body back in a back seat i'm pretty sure it's like super obvious the driver tells the others make sure you wipe miles laptop before you dump it and he's like and you have his phone he like shows him the screensaver's guitar and the driver's like that's not miles phone that's liam sadusky's he's like oh, we're gonna have to go back tasha gets on her laptop ethan says he's like this is killing me he's like i can't stand not knowing where jess is and i was like dude liam's her boyfriend and you're he's right there and but liam's like you two have known each other for forever and, and there's like a ridiculous amount of frame pictures on a desk like of them like prom pictures of them as kids it's like it seems kind of silly ethan's because i i don't they're at ethan's house by the way ethan says that his mom was uh or jess's mom was his nanny and tutor and they practically grew up together then liam's like i lost my dad and grandpa to this treasure hunt we're not gonna let that happen to her so tasha says that she can't find ethan's phone anywhere um so they could have gone somewhere remote which isn't good casey's <laughs> is staring at jess and you know billy's talking to Raphael. she's like there's one way to find out what this needle is for casey bring jess over here and jess uses the opportunity to start sending an sos on the phone Raphael's like hey 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 he's like what are you doing Casey pulls Jess up and she sees the phone. There's like a countdown going down and Casey manages to stop it like at one. So that's what you're doing. And at this point, I was almost like ready to stop watching. It's just, it's just getting ridiculous. I like the show, but I'm like, come on. Casey pulls out like a pocket tool to take out the SIM card from the phone or whatever. This, this, this just gets me. Billy's watching. And then to Raphael, she's like, this opens something, doesn't it? It's like, it's a friggin' needle. One, the fact that you found it is ridiculous. And then you're like, oh, this, this needle opened something. Because of course she's going to figure it out. Uh, you know, she's pulling the exact correct idea completely out of her butt. And she, this is just ridiculous. She tells Casey to get Jess's medallion. And I'm like, oh my God, come on. Are you serious? You know, it's like first guess and she gets it right. Billy manages to figure out where to stick the pin. The top pops open. You know, there's, it's almost like a locket. Just never realized this. And it looked like it was just a thin thing, but apparently it's a locket. Billy's like, it's a wayfinder. It's an ancient compass. Raphael's like, only it doesn't work. Oh, but it will work, won't it, when we're close to the treasure in the devil's swamp. This is the part I didn't like. Anyways, but I, I, I'm okay with the show. At the bar, Mina is on stage doing karaoke. She gets, a, you know, someone orders her a drink, whatever, from some dude, and she's with some other friend. And she's like, "Oh, you should go for it," and everything like that. Then um, her, she's like, "Mina, your phone is blowing up. There's a SOS alert on there." So somehow it went through, I guess. So Mina calls Orin, and Orin looks at his phone. And he's like, "Ethan, why is your ex girlfriend calling me right now?" 
So he, he does like a video call and she's like, has something happened to Ethan? Orin's like, uh, he's right here. He hands the phone to Ethan. She's like, are you in trouble? He's like, I'm fine. She's like, tell me our safe word. And Liam's like there. He's like, yeah, Ethan, we're waiting. Ethan tries walking away. He whispers. He's like, tickles and giggles. And like Liam and, and Tasha smile. She's like, oh, thank God. She's like, I got an SOS. And he's like, Jess. And Mina's like, why does she have your phone? Of course she has her phone. He's like, no, it's not like that. She's like, you know what? I'm unsubscribing to all this J. Ethan drama. I don't know what that means. J. Ethan. Because his name is Ethan. J. Ethan drama. What does that mean? He's like, don't hang up. She's in danger. And then she stops. And he says that they think that she's been kidnapped. And she gets serious. And she's like, okay, I'll send you the pin from where it was sent. Her stupid friend's like, who are you talking to? And she sees Ethan. She's like, oh, no, no. And she hangs up, which is just like so rude or whatever. But the pin still went through. So Orin's like, uh, she's in a large body of water? Liam kind of zooms out. He's like, that's the Gulf of Mexico. <laughs> Tasha says that she must be on Billy's plane. That's why we couldn't track her. Ethan says that, well, you know, she can't stop in the States. She's get, she'd get stopped by, you know, customs or whatever. And Orin's like, no, with Billy's money and black market connections, there's no doubt she has a workaround for that. Liam asks, he's like, well, where could she be taking Jess? Then <laughs> Tasha's like, I can track the, that plane. I roll. Oh, my gosh. She's like, we just need to find a crappy motel. And Ethan's like, how will that help? And she's like, it'll have a crappy TV. They're at this motel, and it has like a legit old-style TV. Like, no motel would have a TV like that this day. So she yanks off the rabbit ear antenna, and Orange's like, well, there goes your safety deposit. Because she's like, <laughs> this, this part gets me. All modern aircraft record their model and location on ADS-B signal. So, of course, you know this off the top of her head. And she has like some dongle thing that, that would work. Ethan's like, have you done this before? And she's like, no, but I've watched videos. Of course she has. So she hooks some stuff up, whatever. She's in. And she's like, according to Crypto Magazine, her plane is a Bombardier Globals 7500. And of course she has that memorized. She knows that. It's like everyone has photographic memories, I guess. She's like, there's only like 100 of them in the world. Of course she would know that too. And then she finds it in like less than five seconds. You know, there's a there's hundred of them, but she's able to narrow it down. She's like, it's starting its descent. The airport it's, and its trajectory is in Vicksburg County, whatever's like that. Ethan's like, that's Mississippi. It's a two-hour drive. Liam's like, we, we better get going. In Peter Sadusky's study, Ross and the docker, they enter. The goons are also on their way there. So Doc's like spraying some stuff. He's like, if there's blood, they'll be seeing you know, blue spots all over the floor, but there's nothing. And she's like, why would Liam lie about this? And Doc's like, well, maybe the killers are really good at, at cleaning up. And then they somehow hear the car pull up, even though they're like kind of deep in the house. The goons come in looking for the phone. Ross and, and uh, the doc are hiding in the clue room. She sends out a request for backup. She pulls out her gun. Um, they're, they're looking. They can't find a phone. So then they're like, we'll try calling it. It's under a cabinet in there. So they, they grab it. They're about to leave. She pops out, FBI, freeze. They start shooting. Um, she gets she shoots the second guy the driver like shoots back and like heads for the door uh and then she clearly hears tires you know squealing away she goes to the shotgun she's the 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 guy the shot guy the guy that was shot and she's like stay with me and the doc's like he's gone 
Tasha says that the plane is still parked. They're not going anywhere. Ethan's like, can you access the airport cameras? Maybe see what they're doing. She's like, she, she annoyingly, she's like, Ethan, you know there are limits to what I can do, right? And it's like, oh, really? But that's not one of them. That's one of my limits. Ugh. Orin asks Liam, you know, because he's got his book. He's like, what's Crass S. Nostrum? And he's like, I have no idea. It's like my grandpa sent me the book before he died. And, you know, you see that the title page is the, the book of famous lost treasures. There's a note in the back. There's no greater treasure than time. I hope one day you can find it in your heart to forgive me. Love, Grandpa. Orrin's like, why did he underline time and find? And Liam's like, it's a cipher. He says that there are um, too many underlined words and sentences. Orrin says that, well, why don't we just focus on finding time? So he turns to the first one, Nefertiti's tomb. Orn's like, 1330 BC. Liam's like, they're page numbers. So Orn's like, go to page 13. Underlined in blue, there's like highlighter, is all. So then go to 30, all. Go to the next one. So then it cuts to Vicksburg, Mississippi at the airport hangar. Raphael tells Jess when they get to Devil's Swamp, it's gonna be, there's going to be a lot of traps. So, you know, keep an eye out for the coyote. It's, it's a warning that the daughter's left for the people. It means that there's a trap. Death is um, just around the corner. And she's like, you mean like like spikes and, uh, you know, pits and snakes? He's like, yeah. He's like, and don't forget uh, darts and decapitating blades. Just comments. Then uh, he's like, you're smart like your mother, but you're devious like me. Orn and Liam find a second word is, is lost, sort of going through like the, the clues or whatever. Tasha hacks into the camera. Sees, uh, she finds a camera right in the hangar. She sees Billy has several goons with her this time. They have uh, like these little boats by the SUV. Tasha's like, I'm going to record this. Liam says that there are a lot of ways that they can go into Mississippi. Orn randomly says, the devil swamp. It's just the swamp. It's, it's haunted. It's all over my subreddit. It's like the Bermuda Triangle in the Mississippi or of the Mississippi. He's like, the legend of people getting lost and disappearing there goes back hundreds of years. Ethan's like, so? So what if the daughters of the plumed serpent made up the legend to scare people away? Tasha's like, hmm. Liam says that that all actually makes sense. But that's a flat boat in you know, one of the boats. He's like, it's made for shallow swamps. Ethan asks He's like, well, what do they do? He's like, you know, we, we can't outrun Billy's team. Tasha shakes her head. She says, I know someone who can. Of course she does. Agent Ross is still in the study. There's lots of agents. One of them's like taking a statement from the, the, the medical the doctor. The dead goon guy is still on the floor. Hendricks arrives and hands her a coffee. He's like, you stumbled into a really dangerous situation here, Ross. What were you doing here? She's like, I came to investigate the report of a murder. You know, Liam Sadusky reported his grandpa's nurse was killed in the study. There's no body and there's no blood. But his cell phone was here. The guy who shot at me came for it. Hendricks asks if this has something to do with the treasure that she told him about. And she's like, I'm telling you, Billy is behind this. You know, and he's like, we can't make an arrest based on further and farther. Then her phone chimes. So Tasha sent videos from the hangar. Then she's like, can we make an arrest based on this? So you see Billy and her people with guns and stuff. In the swamps, Billy's holding a medallion, wayfire, wayfinder thing. They get out of the you know, SUV. Casey's, um, she's stupid, like, it's working. So the needle's kind of like moving, kind of like the compass under. 
Jess and Raphael's hand are zip tied. It's like super long zip ties, like just pieces sticking out. She's like, I can't believe I was wearing it this whole time. And Raphael's like, I wasn't sure it would work until now. They get to like the edge of this dock and they're like, let's get that boat launched. With the book message, um, all lost treasures, all found, all destroyed by Crass S. Nostrum. Orin's like, what does that mean? Liam says it means that Billy isn't a treasure hunter. She's a treasure destroyer. And it looks like Crass S. Nostrum is some sort of secret cabal. So he guesses his grandpa figured out some of its key members. Because like Billy and Pierce also came up in like the, the word clues. So she's part of it. But she's not the leader. The leader is Salazar? Ethan's like, Billy works for Salazar? Liam thinks that his grandpa was about to expose the cabal. That's why he was killed. Ross and Hendricks are the only two FBI on Billy's jet. Everyone's long gone. Ross says, she's like, I know how to find him. She calls Tasha. Tasha says that they saw a caravan leaving. Then Ross asks if they know, you know where, where they would go. And she's like, no, but we have a hunch. Devil Swamp. Hendricks like, that's pretty remote. Even the, the locals don't go out there. They're, you know, we're going to need boats and backup. Then Ross notices Hendrix is like fidgeting with like a pack of orange Tic Tacs. He's like kind of like, you know, twirling it around. He sees her looking. He's like, you want one? And she's like, no, I'm good. She has a flashback to all, of all the clues with the orange, the death of Sadusky. You know, when Peter drank the tea with the poison, his hand like knocked the Tic Tacs out, out of Hendrix's hands. His finger clenched one that was on the floor and that's why his hands got stained because his hands were wet probably. So she pulls her gun on him. And he's like, whoa, whoa. He's like, what are you doing? And Ross is like, you murdered Peter Sadusky. It's like, dude, I don't think you should have tipped your cards just yet. She, um, he scoffs or whatever. And he says, you know, she's like, put that thing down. She tells him to put his hands up and he kind of reaches for it. And she's like, you pull that out. I pull this trigger. Then he's like, She's or she's like, you know, take your gun out, two fingers, nice and easy by the grip. Place that on the floor and kick it over. He's like, what's wrong with you? She asks for his phone and she says, she's like, it all makes sense now. That's why you're pushing me to rest Jess. She was just a fall guy. And he's like, you're exhausted. You're you experienced something dramatic. She, she tosses her handcuffs to him and tells him to cuff himself to this railing. But it's like, wouldn't he have a handcuff key? You know, aren't they all kind of universal? I don't know. He says, he's like, I took a chance on you, you know, after you made the wrong arrest in D.C. And here you are making the same mistake again. He's like, your career is supposed to be over. I gave you a job. And she's like, she says that he has until the count of three. And he looks at her and she's like, one, fine. Uh, guess what, Ross? You're done now. She calls the Vicksburg PD, says that she's detained a murder suspect on a jet. And he'll be waiting there. She's going after his accomplices. He says that, if she's going to the swamp alone, she's going to get killed. She just looks at him and then walks out. She's driving. She's talking to the doc on the phone. He's like, you can't go without backup. And she's like, I have no choice. You know, she says she doesn't know how high up this goes. You know, who else is working with him? If she doesn't call back in 20 minutes and then her phone cuts out. So then we see like shots of everyone at the swamp, at the, the truck, you know, Liam having flashbacks with Jess, Ethan thinking of Jess. They're all exiting the van or whatever. The boat pulls up to the dock. Billy tells him to cheer up. They're about to find a great Pan-American treasure and prove Manuela was right. This has been Raphael's dream for the last 20 years. Now he can die happy. Agent Ross is there already. 
I don't know how she got there so fast. She pops around the shack and she's like, freeze. Big muscled goon, coxswain, Uzi, other goons aimed her guns at her. Ross is like, you know, tells them to drop their weapons or I, or she shoots Billy. They actually listen, lowered her guns. And she's like, your treasure hunt is over. The police are on their way. Raphael's like smiling. And then he's like, no. Hendrix somehow pops up behind her, stabs her in the back with the conquistador sword from the jet. Then he pulls it out. He puts her handcuffs down next to her. And softly, he's like, I tried to warn you, Ross. And she just kind of like moves a little bit. And then she stops. So I guess she's dead. Raphael just like stares at Hendrix. Then there's a flashback. It's like some rubble. You see like uh, Sebastian like pinned under some stuff. And Hendrix like, you're a liability, Sebastian. He's, you know, holding a gun. And then he shoots. And Raphael's like, Salazar. And that was episode nine. So um, I don't know how I feel about, (laughs) about Hendrix being... Salazar, because Hendrix, he seemed, I don't know, he didn't really seem fully on it, but there you go. So bad news bears for everyone. All right, Velma, season one, episode seven, got two episodes. So it starts off, Velma can now focus on her mom's disappearance. She doesn't have the hallucinations anymore, um, you know, but she's wondering why does she write jinkies? You know, she's looked up different things. It's not a license plate because that belongs to a garbage truck. It's not jinkies, the clown. He actually killed himself recently. Daphne says that she has to talk to Velma. You know, she's like, sorry, not now. She just totally blows her off because Velma is like a stupid, selfish jerk. Velma walks into her living room and Sophie's dead. There's a bloody mess. There's a message on the wall written in her blood. Velma's like, oh no, who's going to clean that up? Like that's supposed to be funny. It's like, okay. Um, the message is like, Aman, will you go to the Crystal Cove Fog Festival with me? And then Sophie pops up and Velma's like, it's a demon. She's about to hit her with a lamp. And dad's like, stop. This was a, a fog puzzle. And she's like, a what? He says it's like, like with prom, but only for Fog Fest. So Velma's like, how can that be happening? What about the curfew? You know, it was working. Aman, her dad, said like, the, the curfew's over because it's not a serial killer. It's the ghost of Dr. Edna Perdue. It's even in the paper. So there's an article about it. Curfew can't stop a ghost. That's just basic physics. <laughs> then Sophie informs Velma that she doesn't have to worry about girls getting murdered. You have to have a date in order to attend the Fog Festival. So no girl without a date will be allowed to enter. Velma's like, great. So Fog, fa- Fog Fest is not only dangerous, but it's sexist too. She says that at least the police haven't bought into this ghost crap but then out in the streets you hear like police sirens police is driving down the street on the intercom mentioning that they haven't caught the killer because it's a ghost not because they're incompetent fred is rehearsing his fog king acceptance speech uh and he's like and i owe it all to my queen velma parents they start getting on his case um he's gonna you know one day take over joan's accessories or whatever and he has to strive for the best that says that he can't win with velma so either he finds a way to come home with the Fog King crown or don't come home at all. At school, Gigi's friends strike consoling her about Norvell being a bad boyfriend. Um, he ignored her when she almost died from a bee sting and his grandma is 100% a ghost who's killing her friends. Velma comes out to talk and Gigi opens her locker and this ghost pops out. But it's really Norville asking her to fog fest. Velma goes to yell at Norville later in the, like the, the newspaper room and... You know, he, he reminds her, 
how much she enjoyed the Fog Fest in the past. She's been working on the Jinkies clues for days and could really you know, use this to blow off some steam. She finally says that uh, he's right, but girls have to have a date to go. So she, she can't go. Then Velma goes to talk to Daphne. She's kind of mad. She's like, she she's like calls Velma a ghost because she's been blowing her off or whatever like that. But then Fred starts throwing sacks of cash at Daphne because he's trying to ask her to the, the fog fest. Velma's like, oh, no, no. He's trying to scare me by acting like he's back into you know only caring about hot girls and stuff like that. He's like, oh, if only that were true or something like that. But he says that he really has to be Fog King. And then um, <laughs> Daphne s- slaps him because she thought that he said something other than Fog King. See anything about it? Then, then when she f- figure out what he, figures out what he said, she's like, "Oh, I- I'd love to go with you." So they like walk off together. Another sh- Fred and-, and Daphne back together. Velma ponders over to Jinkies in front of her murder board. Dad and Sophie are off to the festival. Then she sees a limo arrive next door at Daphne's to pick her up. Um, then she tries calling her. And then she opens the window. She's like, I see you ignoring my, my, my call. And then she takes like a swig from a flask and she's complaining. She's like, you're drinking too? Whatever. This spider drops on her window and she smashes it with like a rolled up thing. She's like, because she, I guess she, she's like, oh, I just remember I used my mom's manuscripts to kill spiders. She enrolls it and she sees Detective Jinkies, The Case of the Invisible Ink. So in the story, Detective Dia Jinkies held a note in front of a fire and a message appeared. So she takes a Jinkies piece of paper and puts it in front of the hot light bulb and a phone number appears under. She calls it and it dials the phone of the heavy breathing welder mask wearing possible killer. So whoever it is answers, Velma just hears a heavy breathing and she's like, I can hear you. She's going on like then They just hang up on her. She, she, she knows, she's like, so I heard a crowd, a roller coaster, and a foghorn. This serial killer's at Fogfest. Of course, she figures that out. Gigi and Norville arrive in like a horse-drawn carriage. Uh, the killer is standing nearby, pulls out a knife while holding a phone in his other hand. Her other hand? Their other hand. Velma decides if girls aren't allowed to go without a date, she's going to need a lot of makeup. So she has like this clown makeup kit in her drawer. She shows up in this like new suit, a mustache, short hair, and says that her his name is Manny. There, I go on one of those those rides where you go up and it drops down, whatever. I don't know what they're called. And she's like, I can see the killer. And she's like, Why isn't the ride going down? It turns out Norville paid to keep it up for a while. Velma decides somehow that she's going to climb down. She's able to get out of the, like the seatbelt stuff. She's so stupid. It's like, what are you doing? Norville has something important to ask. Will you be my fog queen? And then the ride drops. And like he had a bunch of like, you know, flyers and like that. They fly out of his hands and Velma falls. She falls off the, the big post. Fred is trying to bribe kids to vote for him. And a bunch of Norville and Gigi flyers, that fell out of his hands, like flutter all over the place. Velma apparently landed on a pile of trash and is totally fine. Okay. Daphne's still drinking and sees Manny and she's like, Oh, who is that tasty snack? So she goes to follow and the killer was like about to close in on her. And it's like super foggy everywhere. Velma is still trying to call the, 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 the fog killers, whatever phone or not the fog killer. He figures that she's like, oh, I must've scared the killer away. Then uh, Fred confronts Norville about wanting to be Fog King and because he, he thinks that he can beat Fred. This other student is like, whoa, whoa. He's like, you know, we should set, since we're on a dance floor, we should settle this. And Fred and Norville both like, dance off. 
and the student's like, oh, I was thinking of a fist off. It's, it's like a dance off, but with fists. And then Norville punches Fred. And he seems to be putting up a pretty good fight considering he's, I thought Norville was supposed to be like a nerdy, weak, and couldn't do anything. But, and Fred seems like, I don't know, but I guess Fred's like a child. So Velma rejoices at, at being able to use the men's bathroom and, and then um, she gets pulled into the fog by drunk Daphne. And she's like, who are you? And she's like, uh, Manny, the man Jonas. Daphne's like, you remind me of my friend Velma. And then she's like, wait, so are we still friends? And Daphne's like, what? Daphne wants to dance. Um, Velma Manny says that you know she can't dance and then she realizes that her worst qualities as a girl are admired when she's a man so she just you know she they talk about doing the worm she's like I can't do the worm she does this little move and then everyone cheers so she's like as a man you can do whatever she decides to talk to the crowd about the killer because then they'll listen and so Manny's like ghosts are not real the curfew can't end because a serial killer is real they're you know they're safe tonight because I scared off the killer, but the curfew should be back on tomorrow. It's like, what do you say? And Daphne's like, you know, they're like they're actually listening. And then Daphne's like, Manny for Fog King, and I was like, yeah. So Manny and Daphne are end up alone on a pier. Daphne admits that you know she's drinking a bit because she had a bad week, and then she's like, can you keep a secret? And she's like, you know, I'm adopted and I located my birth parents, but it turned out or they turn out to be criminals. And Manny's like, criminals? I was like, oh my God, why didn't you tell Velma? Daphne says she tried, but unless you're helping her find her missing mom, she has no time for you. Velma's like, well, a missing mom is a big deal. Daphne's like, they also abandoned me, uh, you know, twice. Manny's like, oh man, it's, it sounds like Velma sucks. And Daphne's like, I can't believe I told you. And Manny, um, or she can't believe she told Manny, but she's like, it feels like we have a connection. Manny's like, well, you know, I'd be super psyched to kiss you right now. And they're, they're about to kiss. And then you hear, I bet you would, Velma. And Fred rips off the mustache. And it was like really glued on there or something like that. And she's like, ow, Fred. She's like, that was my actual mustache. I just didn't shave it. It was like ri- ridiculous. That's it, like a total full-on mustache. Fred said that he's like, oh, because when, when – Manny was on stage, was slapping, you know, doing a bunch of hand slaps of people and slapped Fred in the face or something like that. So he says that uh, he had been, or he had dreamt of her callous longshoreman's hands touching his face for weeks. So as soon as she slapped him, he knew that Manny was Velma, which is silly. Daphne's upset and she's like, I'd punch you if men didn't sexualize women fighting. And she just runs off. Fred's parents are reluctantly about to announce the Fog King, but then Fred grabs the mic and reveals that Manny is Velma and Velma's to be Fog King. He tries saying ineligible or something like that, but he like mumbles because he, he, I guess, didn't know the word. The sheriff's like, hold on. If Manny is a female interloper, then is or is not the serial killer a ghost? Fred used that opportunity to ask, like, who wants you know me to be Fog King? The sheriff's like, well, we all would if we didn't already give it to Norville. He rescued a girl who fell off the pier because he wanted to do it with Gigi, but she didn't want anything to do with it. The little girl's like, I was pushed. Norville just, like, chuckles, and he says he wants to say you're welcome to his deserving Fog Queen, Gigi. He knew this crown would restore her self-worth. And he's like, where is Gigi? So she's by the carriage, and the, the fog envelops her, and she screams. So is she about to get killed? Velma finds Daphne under the pier. 
like on a beach, says that she wanted to tell Daphne, but as a guy, there were so many opportunities that she had to go for. Daphne's like, she's like, I'm not even mad at you. She's like, I'm just mad at myself for finding another way for you to disappoint me. Velma's like, says that she's mad at herself for being selfish and a bad friend. She apologizes for blowing her off. She just feels guilty doing anything other than looking for her mom. She's like, can you forgive me? Daphne smiles and considers. Then a shadow comes over them. Watch out! Heavy breather tries attacking. They duck and then tries grabbing Velma's leg. Daphne gives like a roundhouse kick. Killer pulls out a knife. They run and scream. Norville's looking for Gigi. Someone comes up to him. It's Fred. He grabs a crown and he runs. Then it's like old timey Scooby Doo chasing music. They're like a maze of doors, you know, where like you've seen the episode many times where they're going through one door, out another door, just like all over the place. And they're like, this doesn't make sense, it, whatever. And it, it it turns out that they're in this uh, maze of doors, whatever, a fun house type of thing. As Daphne uh, and Velma are running, they see this old time like photo booth and I think Daphne's like, we could run in there and put on a disguise. Velma's like, that's dumb. It's like, we'd have no time. Who would ever stop to put on a costume in the middle of a chase? Which is what they did all the time in Scooby-Doo. The four end up running into each other and they crash on the floor. Uh, so Daphne, Velma, Fred, and Norville. Then uh, the killer raises a knife as the fog rolls over, but then the killer's gone. And Velma's like, by fog rules, the killer's still nearby. She calls a number. They hear her phone ring. And it's sitting on top of Fred's head. And then she's like, for the last time, are you or are you not the serial killer? He's like, I'm not. This dumb thing must have gotten swapped with my crown in the fog. He adds that he knows it's bad and that the killer you know, killed a bunch of girls. But if he doesn't get the crown back, he's going to have to spend a night in his limo. Because his parents are like, either you become the fog king or you have to leave the house. Norville's like, come to think of it, has anyone seen Gigi? He's like, I'm worried the serial killer got her. They all gasp. <gasps> and then they're like, wait, no, there she is by the exit. So she's wearing like a top hat and a suit now. Norville's like, wait, are you a man who's been disguised as a woman this whole time? And she's like, no. So somehow her clothes change with a dumb carriage driver and a dumb fog. Not that he would care. He's like, what? He's like, you're the fog queen. And... He's like, you showed the world that you don't deserve to be ignored by the people you like. She's like, you ignored me all night trying to win the Fog King crown. And he's like, you're right. I'm a monster. Then she's like, no, you're not. Anyone who makes you think that you need that crown is a monster. So she takes the crown. She tosses it in the trash. Fred, like, dig, jumps in, like, takes it out. And he's got the crown. Velma and Daphne, they decide they're going to be friends again, whatever. And that's how the episode ends. But then after credits, Fred checks himself out in a funhouse mirror. And he's like, oh, look at you. And then someone comes up behind him and he screams. Episode, season one, episode eight of Velma in the Woods. There's a flashback to kindergarten when Velma and Daphne first met. It was special. Now things are back to normal. Uh, she's going to talk to Daphne, but Fred's mom comes up to her and is asking for her help to find Fred. She... Um, she manages to get away and she pulls Daphne away from this other girl from, I think it's from Olive says that, you know, she's really glad that they're friends again. Two days later, Velma says that she's so mad that they're friends again. So something happened in these two days. It's like, we're going to die down, you know, down here. And it's all, you know, Daphne is, or Velma's like, it's all your fault. Daphne yells at Velma that, you know, says that Velma is the reason that they're pinned by a rock in this ravine. Velma's like, my fault. It's like, nothing's ever my fault. Two days earlier, Daphne's flashback. They're in a car, and Velma asks Daphne if 
you know, if she's like, if you were a serial killer, what would your password be? She's like, I tried mustache fan. I took the red pill and van owner. I don't know why uh, th- that makes no sense. Then she yells at Daphne. What have I told you about texting during my times of need? It's just so annoying how selfish and annoying Velma is. <laughs> then Velma asked Daphne's mom, because they're in a squad car, if, if they can hack the phone since they're cops. One of the moms says that since they don't have proof that it's a serial killer's phone, that their hands are tied. But Daphne can definitely help. She has phone hacking experience from the incident. Velma's like, the incident? What's that? Daphne tries changing the subject. And she's like, oh, look at all those homeless people out there. Each one has a different story. Then she talks about like on TV when the flashbacks are used to interlock with another character's flashback and so forth, whatever. The other mom agrees um, you know, because Velma's like, you're just trying to change the subject. The other mom agrees with that. But she's like, but you do have a point about the flashback stuff. And then it cuts to Fred's flashback. Same time as Daphne's is what it says on a title card. He's lying on the floor, like this old storage closet or something like that. He's pounding on the door. He's like, my parents will never pay ransom. And then his voice says, Fred, is that you? The closed captioning says it's Brenda's voice. He's like, Brenda? He's like, I was at your funeral. And it's not just Brenda, it's Lola and Krista. Their brains, all three brains are in jars. And there's like some cables sticking them. And there's like some electronic stuff like on the top. Then all three start arguing, whatever, and Fred screams and faints. Daphne has a black light flashlight. She says they can use it to see the smudges on the, the number that the killer used most on their phone. Velma's like, so you do have hacking experience. Then she's like, she asks if the, the, the incident was her. And Daphne's like, no. But a while back, I was low-key obsessed with someone. And she's like, I lost my mind for a hot second and hacked their phone to see if they liked me. They didn't. End of story. Velma's like, like, oh. But then she's like, well, who was it? Daphne's like, you got to focus. It's like opening the phone is the key to finding your mom. So shining the light, Velma's like, the password is one, two, three, four. And it turns out that's actually it. It's not like in different order. So Velma's in. She's like, oh, the killer was careful. No messages, no mail, no nudes. But he did accidentally take a photo in the woods. Daphne's like, that's Mount Crystal. I, I, I didn't realize that at first, but I'm pretty sure it's, it's like Mount Rushmore, but one person and it's Billy Crystal. <laughs> I was thinking that the crystals, whatever, but it's whatever. Velma says that, he's like, well, we're going tomorrow and on the ride, you can tell me all about the incident and I'll either laugh or scream at you. And then she's like, fine. Then her phone beeps. Because uh, when she was in the car, she got a, she, she hearted a picture of Olive and like, I don't know if it's like, if it's text or something like that. So it's another picture of Olive and Velma's like, who's texting you? Who are you texting? And she's like, oh, there's no one, whatever. But yeah, she's hard. So is, is she have a crush on Olive now? Or like what's going on? Then we're now going back to Fred's flashback, which again is happening at the same time as Daphne's flashback. It says on the title card, Fred asks the brains, how are they alive? All they know is someone took their brains and planned to put them in someone else's body. Fred said that Velma was wrong. It's like ghost of Edna Perdue is back to finish her work. The next day, Velma knocks on Daphne's door. They go looking for the serial killer in the woods. Daphne says, you know, sorry, it's so last minute, but she can't go. And she's like, what? She's like, I brought all your favorite snacks, water and pictures of Tom Holland. She's like, now let's go, Daph. She grabs her wrist, but it turns out to be Olive's wrist. So Olive's there. Daphne sheepishly says that today... They're taking pictures for the sexy calendar that they sell to fight discrimination against hot girls. So they go inside and Velma starts screaming, saying that that she's like, I'm having a deadly hallucination. Obviously, she's lying. She's trying to guilt Daphne into helping her. 
in the present. Daphne's like, and that's why this is your fault, Velma. You're so possessive. You faked the hallucination just to keep me from hanging out with Olive. And Gigi's like, no, no, this isn't Velma's fault. It's all Norville's. So this is where we find out Norville and Gigi are pinned under this rock too, or like on, on the side of, between the rock and the ravine. So Velma's like, she doesn't understand how. And Gigi's like, it started when we got home from Fog Fest. So two days earlier, Gigi's flashback. They're making out outside her door. And he's like, well, I should go because uh, her dad likes to follow him home or something like that. And he doesn't want to wait, you know, have it be too late. But she says like, they're not home. And then she's like, can you help me unzip my dress? So he's like, oh, yeah, no problem. He's like, I do this for my mom all the time. He does unzip it and starts to leave. Then he gets a text. And then he asks her, he's like, is your cabin at Mount Crystal still empty? She's like, yeah. And then she's like, we can go tomorrow. It's like, so why don't you, you know, go home and rest up. Gigi arrives at, at the cabin with like a basket of chocolate, flowers and wine and like a candle. She's talking to Olive and, and says that Fred's probably not lost. He's you know probably got stuck in his gold pajamas again. It turns out, you know, the camera pans down underground. He's, he's there and he's cooking like a dead rat impale like on a pencil over a Bunsen burner and it blows up. And Brenda's like, I told you to poke holes in it. He's like, oh, I'm such an idiot. So they're talking. Brenda uh, wonders if what they're feeling is real or if they're just making the best out of a bad situation. He says that it seems real and he moves a kiss to the jar, but then she gets mad. She's like, seems? Seems real? And then she's like, put me back on the table. And he then he, he hears a scream. Gigi is screaming and asks Norville, it's like, what are they doing here? Because he showed up with uh, Velma and Daphne. She's like, this was supposed to be a romantic getaway for two. And there's like a trail of flower petals that goes to the bedroom. And I, I guess she's naked and she's like covering herself with like two pillows. He's like, or she says that she's been hinting and he had no clue. There's flashback of her mentioning the cabin like several times and it's, it's pretty obvious, but he just didn't pick up on it. And so in the present, Gigi's like, see, if Norville could take a hint... And then uh, he's like, oh, that's okay. He's like, I have an emergency homing beacon. He presses it. This helicopter rescue is coming. The woman rescuer is about to go down when she's told new orders are just came in about finding Fred. So she actually goes down like Fred's not down there. So then she leaves. So they're, they're stuck in a ravine still. Velma's like, like, this is all Daphne's fault. And Velma, Daphne says that they have to figure out how to get out of there. They don't have time for another. And then for, she was going to say another flashback, but it goes to six hours ago. Velma's flashback, back at the cabin, Gigi's yelling at Norville. Daphne tells Daphne they should go. Um, streaming is really draining her phone battery, and she was only here because of her hallucination anyways. Norville, he hears this, and then he's like, wait, she doesn't have those anymore. Daphne says that, she's like, I knew that you were lying. And then Velma's like, well, can you blame me? She's like, you know, just when we reconnected, and I find out that, you know, there's another friend that you were obsessed with. So Daphne's going to leave, but then Velma's like, you can't because there's a serial killer out there. Daphne's like, I'm walking to town to find Wi-Fi, and even if I don't find it, I would rather call an actual taxi from a stranger's landline. Gigi says that, um, she's like, I'm going too. So they, they both leave. Velma and Norville talk, and he mentions that the incident was actually with Gigi. And Velma's like, oh no, I just drove Daphne right into her arms. So they go outside and it seems that they're too late. Uh, Daphne and Gigi are like um, on this like 
mound or something like that, and they have like their arms around each other. So they move closer, and Daphne yells for them to stop. Gigi's like, there's a cave down there, down in the ravine, and we came out to try to see if that's where the serial killer was hiding. And Gigi's like, but then the outcropping started to break off under our weight. Velma scoffs. She's like, your weight? Because, you know, they, they probably weigh nothing. And then the ground starts crackling. That's when all four fall. So in the present, Velma's like, it was Daphne's obsession with Gigi is why they're going to die here. Norville says that he's not going to die sitting in his filth. You know, they're sitting there until, you know, whatever. With them, Gigi says that uh, more importantly, Daphne hasn't been obsessed with her for over a year. And and she's like, does no one read my blog? Gigi's juicy journey? So no one reads it. Daphne says that it's all her fault. And they're like, what? She knows that Velma's possessive, but she always said that that was one of her favorite parts of their friendship. Then they start arguing, shifting the, the boulder, you know, pinning them, whatever. The ground shifts, they end up falling more. Then there's like crystals around them. And Daphne's like, this must be an extension of the crystal mines. Velma says that that would explain how the serial killer moves around town, like through the mines. Gigi gets mad when a stalagmite falls and Norville shields Velma instead of her. So then they leave. And Velma wants to keep looking for, and you know maybe talk about her and Daphne. Daphne says, sure, but uh, can we discuss how the U.S. government basically admitted that they were that they're actually are aliens? She's trying to change the subject again. Fred is sleeping on the floor. Uh, some rumbling wakes him out. Uh, wakes him up. He rolls over and he tells Jar Krista, Krista's brain, to wake up. He's like, "We fell asleep. We have to get you back on the table before." The Brenda Jar is like, "What the hell, Krista?" You hooked up with Fred? Chris is like, Fred said you broke up. And Fred's like, Freddie can explain. And then Lola's like, can you explain how you also hooked up with me? And Brenda and, and Krista both are like, what? So he's hooking up with brains and jars. Daphne and Velma are walking. You know, maybe they can't be friends anymore. But then Velma's like, well, maybe it's time for us to be girlfriends. And she's like, you think so? But then they hear Fred saying that he's a flawed man and that that flaw is that he loves too much. He goes on and on and the, like the door opens, he panics and he throws a brain. The jar hits Daphne in the head. And, you know, it's like, he doesn't run. He just, he just, he doesn't even, I don't even know if he knew what he did, who he hit. He just like runs out the door saying, I'm free. Daphne sees that it's, it's Brenda's brain. You know, they're like, hey, who, who put you here? How'd you get here? They say that the only person they've seen is the freak in the welder's mask. Then was like, well, my mom has to be around here somewhere. Fred comes back yelling that the cave is about to collapse. Some rocks like fall and like hit the jars, which causes them to start sparking, whatever. Velma tells the others to go, but she, you know, she needs to find her mom. She gathers all three jars and she tries to jump over this little like ravine that just like this little crack in the ground that just opens up. She makes it across, but then she like loses her balance and she's falling back. But then an arm grabs her. Oh my God, mom. Her mom's there. They hug. You know, she pulls her up. They hug. She says that she knew that the Velma would, would find her and they have to get out of there. So then they, they go over. There's a big tarp. Dia pulls a tarp off. It's a white van. And she, she's like, I'll tell. She tells Velma, she's like, I'll tell you everything when we get out of here. Now let's get into this mystery jalopy. So it's a mystery machine, but it's all white. They're driving down a tunnel. Then there's a light. There's lava. They're headed towards them. So they're like, ah, what are they going to do? Gigi and Norville are talking at the cabin. They made it back. Um, she says that she realizes the problem that they all have is because Norville still likes Velma. And he's like, if that's true, then let her, you know, let her send a sign. There's more rumbling. His station wagon partially falls in the ground. The mystery jalopy is headed towards like the, the lava. They're screaming. But then 
the cave in of the station wagon falls right in front of them. So they actually drive up the station wagon and make it out of there. Velma and mom, her mom hug. Then Fred says that, you know, he doesn't want to ruin the moment, but the brains are starting to smell. That's the end of the episode. But then after or mid credit scene, there's a news report. The parents are all there at the cabin with their kids. Fred is getting credit for finding the brains of the hot girls and their cleaning lady, Dia Dorkley. One big question still remains, what is a cleaning lady's immigration status? They want to tell Dia, or they want to take Dia to the hospital. She tells Velma that they can talk there, but she's like, you still haven't told me who did this, who took you? And her mom's like, I didn't tell you? Oh, it's, I can't remember. So for some reason, her mom doesn't know who took her, what's been going on. That's the end of the eighth episode. So, I believe there's just two more episodes left. So I don't, each week I keep saying, I was like, why am I covering? I hope you're enjoying this. I, I, I'm a sucker for the mystery, just like the mystery in national treasure, but the show, I, it's not good at all, but I can appreciate that it's a variation on the Scooby-Doo stuff. So I, I wish we had like a legit Scooby-Doo show, um, you know, try to make something, you know, instead of pouring your efforts into this ridiculous thing, but whatever. So that's, that's Velma for this week. Okay. And now the first movie feature is Legion of superheroes. So this is the latest DC animated DC or Warner brothers discovery, whatever um, home video animated movie. And it's it's in this like a new kind of current continuity. It has that like kind of slick. I don't know if it's like CG whatever art. It I, I really like it. I I I don't know what it is about it. Some the colors and and just the it just looks so crisp and everything. So I, I'm really digging it. And this is like the same Superman from the, like the Man of Tomorrow um, continuity and everything like that. What's interesting about this is the way the the story takes place is they they kind of jump over a lot and. You know, you could do like a full-on Supergirl origin, like when she first arrives at Earth, and then you know, first adventures doing this. But they kind of really skip a lot. And you know, I, I think part of it is you know, if they're being realistic, they you know, unless they're doing like an an animated series, there's no way they they can do all this stuff. And you know, they probably have like these big plans, and especially with how this ends, that they can't afford. They don't have the time to do all these little things. So the movie starts off. I'm, I'm going to do like a little bit of spoilers. Obviously, I'm not going to spoil the whole thing. So this comes out on Tuesday, February 7th. So as you listen to this, it's it's not out, but you should get this. So I should probably, you know, be not, you know, not go too deep into any spoilers. I do recommend it. So let's just get that out of the way. So it starts off with, you know, we see Kara Zorel. She's on Krypton with her mom and, you know, they're running and everything. You know, you got this relationship and Allura, Allura says, you know, she's she wishes she could spend more time with her, but she's busy in the science council and everything like that. Lara finds out that, you know, her application to the military guild has been accepted. So, you know, things are really ex- exciting, but their celebration is cut short because there's Krypton's about to explode. So the sky's red. Um, Allura has been prepping like these. Uh, pod escape pods type of things because you know Jorel warned her but the you know the science council wouldn't listen so she's been working on this stuff they never listen and so they have these like sleep escape pods she tries like activating them to get them ready but then there's like some failure there they're like none of them are working but then one pod activates so Lara tells um 
or Alora, Laura, Alora tells Kara that she's so proud of her, anything like that. And she like kind of like puts her in there, and she's like, "Wait, what, what?" And you know, before she knows what's going on, it takes off, and she's like, "Find your cousin. Know that I will always love you." And she's like, "What are you doing?" It launches, planet blows up. Chunga, you know the story. Chung Chris, uh, Krypton hits the 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 ship. It goes off course, and something happens. She arrives Earth later than Clark, because then it cuts to Kara's on Earth. You know, she's like in overalls, big glasses. You know, she has this note from Clark's like, you need clothes, you know, wear your disguise. So she's out shopping, whatever. Then Solomon Grundy shows up. So she has this fight with him. It's a lot of destruction in the streets. Solomon Grundy has this big laser gun. It's like, what? Um, he wants to fight Superman, but, you know, she arrives or whatever. And then uh, things don't go too well for her. But then, you know, with the laser guns building and cars are getting shot and, and everything like that, Superman and Batman arrive. And, you know, then they, they put a stop to the Solomon Grundy or like that. This man, like, yells at Supergirl. He's like, you ruined my apartment. apartment. She's like, I saved it. She's like, you're welcome. And so Batman's talking to Superman. You know, he's like, your cousin's a problem. And, you know, Clark's like, but, you know, we could trust her. And, you know, he's like, she's only been here a few months. And Batman's like, but, she, you know, she's failed to control her power. And it's like, worse, she doesn't care. She's like, that makes her worse. She, like, hears all this and she, like, starts, like, tearing up or whatever. So she takes off. And then, you know, Batman leaves whatever. Or Superman leaves, go after her. Batman looks at the rifle and he knows something. Flash shows up. So it's like, you know, the, the Justice League is all there. Kara's, like, sitting on a roof of the farm. And, you know, she's like looking at her, her, her badge emblem thing. And Clark's like, you know, I used to go up here when, you know, I had my proms and she's like, well, is any of your proms like where Batman's kicking off the planet? And he's just like, well, give Earth a chance. And she's like, oh, I'm trying, but it's also primitive and weird and wrong. It's different here. And he's like, I know it's not Krypton, but it could be your home. And she's like, no, it's like Krypton may be gone, but it's still my home. And she's like, Batman's right. I don't belong here. She's like, so kick me out. I don't care. And he's like, well, why don't we try something different? He takes out this orb and he like kind of throws it up and this big, big portal opens up. You see all these like futuristic buildings and stuff like that. He's like, follow me. They go through the orb closes and it returns his hand. And you see like it's, they're in the future. Legion superhero buildings like in the background. They're, so they're on Earth, 31st century. Superman brought her there because he thought that, you know, she could train here at the Legion Academy if she wanted. She meets mon L. And then I think she like kind of falls for him. Then she's like, okay, Cal, you can leave. <laughs> and she's like, bye. So she, and like Don Star is going to be her roommate and all this stuff like that. But throughout all this, oh, she like freaks out when she sees Brainiac 5 because she assumes that it's Brainiac and Brainiac tried to kill her cousin. So there's a big fight, just tension between the two. Something's going on. So to, basically with the episodes about like the Legion Academy. So there's, you know, a lot of the like arm fall off boy is in this. <laughs> so it's basically like, Kara getting started and competing with Brainiac 5 and others. There's this other mystery, like where are the actual legion of superheroes? You know, something is going on there and, and everything like that. So then there's this, all this, it goes on from there. And uh, it, so I would say, so here's the thing. I, if, if you've been listening to me on this podcast and past podcasts, you know, legion of superheroes is not, it, it's kind of like my kryptonite. You know, I, I know I'm not trying to brag. I know a lot about comics. I know a lot about comic characters. I know a lot about Marvel and DC characters. I know a lot about their histories and stuff like that. I do not know a lot about the Legion of Superheroes. And I think, you know, what I always say is because there's kind of been different versions, like different histories and with different timelines or whether it's Golden Age, Silver, I, I not, not Golden Age, but so 
I, I like if if you gave me a big picture of I, I could maybe name off maybe half a dozen maybe if I'm lucky maybe a dozen different legion you know I I know a lot of them, about them I've read a lot of the you know Supergirl and you know Superboy comics from the the, the 50s and whatever the Silver Age ones because they're so goofy and wacky. And I've seen, you know, some of the shows and the cartoons or whatever. So I've, I've gotten little bits of them. And I always say the Jeff Johns, Gary Frank action comics, it was so good. Like those stories are with the, with the Legion. So I know like different, I know about the characters from different, but I don't know like the whole cohesive history of them, whether there actually is one or not. That being said, it's not like I don't have like a strong attachment to him. I don't love the Legion because I don't have a strong connection to him or anything like that. But with this episode or this movie, they did a really good job. And, you know, at first I'm like, oh, Legion of Superheroes, but it's Supergirl. I love Supergirl. I feel she's so underused and, and everything. I think they did a really good job setting this up and, and kind of making like this Legion Academy. At first I'm like, are you serious? But then I, and I don't know if there's ever been a Legion Academy. Maybe there has. And I, I'm trying to think in, in the, like the Brian Michael Bendis Legion if, if there was an academy or just them hanging out or you know going there, but it kind of works because you know they're all kind of younger and you know they all have their powers but they're kind of like her where they're not like fully experienced and they're learning stuff and you know so you have kind of like the school setting but it's not like a regular school at all, so it just really works to have these characters more like on a newbie level even though they're they have these crazy and impressive powers, and then you know then this big threat comes like you know, what is going on. So I just think it all just really falls together nicely. And I just, I really enjoyed it, even though, like I said, I don't love the Legion, but I do love Supergirl. So I, I strongly recommend this. I, I was really, really into this, this movie and I, I would watch another one. I would watch more Supergirl and the Legion or whatever, Supergirl, wherever. So without going further into spoilers because you know I, I you know the movie's not even out or anything. What all I will say is when you watch the movie, you know it's it's a it's a self-contained story and everything like that. It's really good and all the blah 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 all that. There is an end credit scene, which is tying into the bigger continuity. So just make sure you know when you do watch this, and again you should buy it, support it because I would love to see more movies. I would love to see a sequel. I want them to keep making them. So when you do watch it, don't hit stop. As soon as the credits start rolling, you know, whether you fast forward or whatever, um, I don't remember. I can't remember if it's mid credit or end credit, but there is a scene there that is um, setting up like a bigger it's, it's a it's a cliffhanger. It's, it's like something it's pretty huge. That's all I'm going to say. I'm not even going to tell you what or anything about it. I, I I'm excited for more. So uh definitely check that out i mean this there i really like this this current continuity i think they're like on fire with this so you check out all these these recent movies so that is legion of superheroes from warner brother discovery home entertainment or whatever they're calling i should know but it's really good and now the main movie feature is knock at the cabin so this is m night Shyamalan. uh he directed it he co-wrote this the screenplay and um, I guess it's actually based off of The Cabin at the End of the World by Paul G. Tremblay. I need to look into that. I hadn't heard of, heard of that. It's a horror novel. Um, so that that's interesting that because the, I don't, I'm not, I guess he doesn't, he doesn't normally adapt things. Where, so anyways, um, I'm, I'm really, I'm kind of torn with this. 
And one one of the first things I'll say, you know, what, what's what when you talk about M Night Shyamalan movies, what's everyone say? What's the twist? What's the twist? What's the twist? Not all movies necessarily have to have a twist because even like old. I mean, there there wasn't quite a twist. You know, you, you go back to like The Sixth Sense or Unbreakable or, you know, stuff like that, where there there is like some sort of twist that, that happens. But I, I feel like he, it's not necessarily a, a twist. What is the, the movie about? Um, this is what, what, what what's fascinating about it. So you, you have this um, couple and it's a, it's a gay couple. It's two dudes. The only reason I... I I specify that is there's some an incident that happened because of they're they're gay they're at a bar there's something that that is mentioned that's the only reason that matters they adopted a, a girl um, I, I think she's a Chinese girl I I'm sorry if she's not but I, I, you know they, they show a scene where you know they they go for the adoption whatever but anyways so you have the, these two dudes and and their daughter they're going to this cabin in the woods and happy family things are great and stuff like that. And it's it's almost kind of creepy in a way because, uh, and, and I, I I would love to just talk about this whole movie, but I don't want to spoil everything because you really should see. It. I enjoyed this. That's why I'm just like kind of jumping into it right away. So the the little girl, she's like out catching grasshoppers and putting them in a jar, and then she sees someone walking up, and it's Dave Batista, and you know he's he's like in a button up shirt, he's got glasses, and you know he's he's very polite and everything, but you know he's a big dude. And, you know, for a little kid, stranger, you know, she'd probably be freaked out. He, like, tries talking to her and everything. At first, she's like, I'm not supposed to talk to strangers. He's like, oh, that's very, you know, very smart of you. And, you know, he's very, very polite and, and talks to her and everything like that. And then he, like, introduces, you know, asks her her name and says his name, whatever. And, you know, she puts out his hand to shake and he helps her catch grasshoppers and stuff like that. So he's just like talking to her very nicely and, and everything. And he's talking about like this decision that they're going to have to make. Then someone else starts walking up and she's like looking. Then she's like, is that friends of yours? And he's like, I, I wouldn't really call them friends, you know, more like associates. Then that, you know, this is when he's saying that they're going to have to make a decision and all, all this stuff. But she starts like freaking out when she sees the other because they're like, they're carrying these like sort like kind of like weapons or something like that, like handmade weapons. So she runs in the house and he like tells her like, you know, not to run, you know, to get her dad's or whatever. And they, they close the door. They start knocking on the door. They're like, you need to let us in, you know, all this stuff like that. And basically what it comes down to is they say, you know, they, 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 they break in, they, they finally get in there and, you know, there's a bit of a fight and stuff like that. But they they try to you know whatever, so they they say that there's this apocalypse coming, the end of the world stuff. You know they they had these vision, all these things are going to happen unless they make a sacrifice. They need to choose one member of their family that's going to die, and the others have to kill it. So because the first thing you'd be like, okay, my family's in danger. If if you know, I I could totally see it. If my family is in danger, I'd be like, all right, I'll sacrifice myself, let them live, and then, you know, be on your way. But the thing is, the other family has to do the killing. So, you know, that makes it harder because, you know, can you actually kill your loved one? You, know, you don't want to do it. You don't want to give in to – you can't give in to terrorism or, you know, kidnappers and stuff like that. So – and they, they don't believe it. You know, they're like, this is crazy, whatever. 
and you know they they go through this whole thing of like introducing who they are that's just to try to go through the thing to try to make them believe them more but they're like you guys are crazy you know this isn't true and it, and and that's if anything i think that maybe that's the twist cuz as you're watching this play out it's like are they legit cuz why would one, and, and they didn't even know who was going to be at the cabin. They just knew they had to be there. According to their visions, this is where they were supposed to go. They supposedly had a vision to meet. They met. They, they came there, whatever, together. So it's just the idea, why would one person, you know, one member of this family dying, why would that prevent all these catastrophes from happening or whatever? And... Uh, now, now I'm like hesitant about how much I, I, I just want to talk about more of it. Um, so it, it gets kind of tense because, you know, they're being terrorized. They're trying to protect their family. When the time comes, they're like, OK, now it is time to make your choice. You know, they keep looking at their watches, whatever. And, and they're like, no, we're, we're not going to do it. And then, you know, they're like, you are about to unleash the first plague if, you know, this is your choice. So. All I'll say, and I'm going to spoil this part. So one of them takes out like a, a like a white hood, and it's like you you keep looking at me, you look at whatever, puts the hood over, and then the others. They, and this is where it pans off, which I'm surprised because I I just looked up, I didn't realize the movie was rated R. And but they they like they're they, they're opportunity for violence because they they end up killing one of the four. And you hear like the, you know, like stuff happening, and they're the 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 two dudes and and the daughter are like freaking out. You know, they're they're trying to keep the girl from you know her eyes are closed. She's not looking. And, and then what they do? Then they they turn on the TV, and there's like these big waves. There's like there's like fifty foot waves, and you know all these people are you know stuff like going on. And then later they're like that was probably pre recorded. You know this is fake, and but it's like is it fake or is it not? Because why? What? How could this be possible? And I think that that's, if any, like I said, if anything, that's like the twist of it. It's like what's really going on, what's not, what should they do, and you know, time keeps ticking, and 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 so forth. How can they get out of there? Can they get out of there? And then, how do? What's the deal with these people? Where do they come from? What's their story? Um, were they? You know, is there any connection between them, between the the family and the, the cabin? So there's just like all this stuff going on, and. and it's not like super scary or super tense or anything like that, but there is a bit of attention. And I, a part of it just has to do with just, just like the, the mood and everything like that, because you can see that these people, you know, as they, they talk about what, what they do, um, like I won't give away like what Dave Batista does, but like this one lady, she says she's a nurse and everything like that. You know, so they seem like they're good people and they're like really nervous and everything like that. And then when it comes time for, you know, the, the first person like says that they're going to die, they clearly didn't want, no one wants to die. So it's not, you know, is this a suicide pack cult or whatever thing that they're in? But it's like, they didn't seem like they didn't want to die. So it's like, what, what is going on here? And you, you kind of have that. And then, you know, you got your typical, which I, what I love is the way like sometimes the camera just kind of like shifts one to one side and then to the other, you know, like when people are talking. There was one thing that I noticed a, a few times where it's kind of like the, the focus doesn't really fit, but it's almost like the, um, what, what's, what's the word I'm, I'm looking for? Like the, not the frame rate, the, not the, the screen width. It's, somehow it kind of like shifts a little bit. I, I can't think of the word, what, what I'm trying to say here. But because like the music and just the vibe and everything like that, and the fact that they're out there, 
uh, you know, just just a few weeks ago, you know, us and the family, we went out, uh, you know, for Martin Luther King weekend. We all, you know, chipped in and and just stayed for the weekend uh, up north a little bit. And as we're driving, you know, it wasn't like super ex- ex- um, hidden away, secluded. That's what I almost said excluded. It wasn't super secluded like this, but you did have to drive down this road and then on this other place. And, you know, there were some houses semi close by, but not like right on top of you. So it's just, that's the weird thing is that, you know, you want to go out on this vacation and, you know, it's out in the woods and nature is so pretty and everything like that, but they had no cell reception. And and uh, the people had cut the landline, so it's like, you, what, if that happens, you're like out there like with nothing. So it's like, what do you do? And you know, because at, at, when they're first there and they see that like people are coming, they're like knocking on a door, and they're like, what do we do? You know, because like they they can't call the police. So that I think, if anything, that's like the scary part, the fact that you could do this, and you know, some people could come up, and you know, you're outnumbered. Where are these people coming from? They got these big crazy weapons. What is going on? How can you possibly get out of this? You know, you can't run. You can't, you know, because you can't make it to the the, the truck because they're going to get you. And and so I, I think if anything, that's like the freaky part. Like thinking about that, if you've ever gone to a like secluded place, knowing that you're kind of at the mercy of the surroundings. You know, what are you going to do? So I I, I just really enjoyed that that you know it was, it was just a, a lot of fun and um and then the ending um it's it's a it's a good ending i will say it's not like a, a cheap um you know like like really that's it i i think the only thing that i feel like there could have been a little i i say i, I kind of go back and forth with this and if you watch it you know what i'm talking about but it's like should there have been more of an explanation? I mean, there is to an extent, and we don't really. I I feel I don't know if an a more of an explanation was needed, or if that would just kind of like overdo it or or dilute it or whatever. But it's just like okay, and and like I said, it was a good ending. Um, I, I I'm totally satisfied with it, but I just I I'm so perplexed as I think about it. And, and you know it's it's been a couple of days since I, I've seen the movie because I saw it on Thursday. Um, I I still can't quite put my finger on it. Like, do I 100% approve of this ending? Am I totally down with this, or would I have should it there have been a little bit more? Because I don't think you know I I think if you tried to ex- explain every little beat that takes away from the mystery or the, the fun or the suspense i don't know you tell me i mean if you see it, what did you think did you enjoy that ending so i i can see you know i, I think it's like at a 60 something in rotten tomato so i i can see why some people might not be super crazy about it uh there i think there have been some movies that have some m night Shyamalan movies that haven't been as good that would be more disappointing I but I, I I wasn't disappointed in this one. I, I did enjoy it, and I, I I think Dave Batista. You know, I'm I'm not the biggest Dave Batista fan. You know, I I'm just tired of him as Drax. You know, him his Drax has made me chuckle. You know, it's it's been fine, um, but it's just it's gotten a little annoying. He was he was good in Glass Onion. There wasn't much to do with the role. It didn't really require so much, but he was he was good in there. He's good in here as well. What I think is is important about this is that this is like a different role from that. You know, it's it's not comedy relief, 
and and yeah, you know, he was in Blade Runner and uh, Dune, but you know, I, I feel like this was really his chance to do something different. And um, there, there, yeah, there are some limitations as far as the movie and the set and you know stuff like that. But I, I think he he did a really good job with it, and I. I just, I I do definitely want to see the movie again. You know, I, I did enjoy it, and um, it's it, I think it's just the the freaky. The, what's freaky for me is just having been out like in the woods like that, just knowing, you know, it's just just weird. And then it's just like, okay, what's the big idea? You know, the big meaning behind all of this. So it was just kind of interesting. So I, I really enjoyed it. I, I do recommend it. Um, but I really like M. Night Shyamalan movies. And again, like I said at the beginning, doesn't mean I'm, it's like an automatic, I'm going to love it just because I love, you know, everything. It's like, no, I, you know, I, 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 it's not my favorite M. Night Shyamalan movie, but I did enjoy it. So that's, that's going to be it. I, I, I feel like I, I shouldn't talk about more. So I don't want to just go around in circles and all that. So that is going to be it for this week. So go see Knock at the Cabin. Um, I, I, it, I think it was like a 20 million budget and it's supposed to be projected at like maybe making 15 to 17 million. So I, I want it to be profitable because again, like I mentioned last week, this is a movie that's not a franchise movie or a reboot or a remake or something like that. So, you know, we, it's important for us to support these movies. I love the franchise reboot movies, but it's important to have the different stuff as well. So go see it if if this is your jam. If if you know you think you could enjoy it, it's it's worth watching. It's cool on a big screen. So knock at the cabin. And how about a knock at the podcast? Because that's going to be this week's episode. So big thanks to Dave McPhail and Andrew Loken. They are big supporters of the show. You can be a supporter by going to patreon.com slash gman from heck any amount you can commit to will be awesome if you commit at the rick jones tier or higher you get access to the secret podcast from heck which is an additional 30 minutes of podcast entertainment every single week i'm currently talking about x-men the hidden years from i think we're at the year 2000 now uh they're in a savage land there was ghost magneto because you know they, they fought magneto he died Professor X wasn't sure he didn't believe them so he sends them to go check and there's a ghost Magneto what's happening the place is starting to blow up the volcanoes they're all going to die to try and escape it's 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 bad news so you can listen to that and more uh, sometimes I'm going to be talking about movie another movie again soon I don't know how many of uh, these X-Men I'll do for now um, and I sometimes I do off of my topics and if there's anything you want me to talk about I may be talking, going on about Ben Riley again. We'll see. Um, but if you can't commit to a monthly commitment, you can also help out by going to coffee.com slash gman from heck. You can buy me a virtual cup of coffee or three. That's ko-fi.com slash gman from heck. All right. So next week, um, I don't know if I'm going to make it to the theater next week. There isn't really anything. The only um, big movie that that's coming out is Magic Mike's Last Dance or whatever that that's called. Um, I honestly can't remember if I saw the second Magic Mike or not. I really like Channing Tatum. I, I'm a Channing Tatum fan. I, I think he's he's funny. I think he's a good actor. I mean, have you seen Dog? Um, that was really good. And uh, it, it, was it Hidden City? Whatever, I can't remember what that was. I just, I'm just not really in the mood for Magic Mike. Uh, I don't, I don't know what it is. And you know, I like Selma Hayek too, but I just, I don't, I'm, I don't really know if I want to see that. 
I don't know if I'm going to see that. There is a movie coming out on Apple called Sharper. It has Julianne Moore, um, Sebastian Stan, um, John Lithgow. There's some other people on there. And um, I hadn't even heard about this. So I, th- I think it was like, a, it, it seems like a lot of times movies show it like Sundance or whatever. And in the streaming, people are like buying them, snatching them up. So this is a movie that probably would normally open in theaters. So I might do that as a feature. I don't know. I, I, I feel like, I, I mean, do, do, does anyone want to hear about Magic Mike? I mean, I, I don't think that's, it's necessarily, uh, you know, what you guys like your, I, I'm not trying to judge you what you like. And maybe you're all going to go see Magic Mike. Maybe you could care less about Magic. I don't know. So we'll see. And then, we, you know, we got the other TV shows and all that. So that is going to be it for this week. I hope you are doing well. I hope you had a good week. Uh, we're in February already, which is crazy. It's things are just, just, just zipping by. It, pretty soon we're going to be in March. So I hope you're doing well. Take some time. Try to do something fun. Take care of yourself. Take care of others. But just remember, be good to each other. <laughs>